Welcome, my friends. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It is Tuesday, April 25th. We are here live. It is time for the Power Hour. It means it's time for maintenance all day long. If you've got a question, a comment, a topic, anything at all to do with maintenance, Engines, performance, fuel mileage, modifications, upgrades, troubleshooting, electronics, you name it, we'll talk about it. All you have to do is pick up the phone and join us. We're going to open those phone lines right now. Looks like they're already coming in. We'll get to them in just a little bit. Uh, Let's see, who do we have from Pittsburgh Power here today? Bruce, is this you? Me. Yes. Good morning. How are you today? Good. I'm pretty good. Um, you know, as you age, you're always looking for that burst of energy that you had in your youth. And I keep searching for that, but I'm not doing so good on finding it. But anyway, <laughs> well, Cummins, it started at 450. Then they had a five and a quarter version and a 600 version. It was a very robust engine, great engine for heavy haul. It's now called the QSK. I think it's QSK. It's computer controlled and it's strictly built for bulldozers and machinery, front end loaders and things like that. But the uh, guy has a carboning problem, and the carbon's getting up inside the cup. Now, think about this. The holes in the cup are anywhere between eight and 9,000 in diameter. But when that piston's coming up, that plunger isn't sealed in the cup. The carbon, the bypass, burning fuel, will travel back up into those holes, and it gathers on the plunger and once that happens now instead of the plunger coming down and seeding in the cup it's seeding on the carbon and you don't get um, the proper spray and now you instead of a clear exhaust you have black smoke or a haze so whenever you build a mechanical injector you have to lap with lapping compound people that built race car engines years ago I know how you would lap a valve in. Do you remember that with the, the red stick with the suction cup and you put the lapping compound on it, which has grit in it? Well, with the same compound and you lap the cup to the plunger and then there's a fixture that the barrel, which the plunger rides in and the cup sits on and it's torqued to it with an injector nut to so many foot pounds that has to be lined up properly or this happens so the cure for this is uh, we're going to have them send up the injectors if, if readjusting the overhead doesn't work we're going to lap his cups to his plungers and make sure they're lined up and then we're going to have them start using the max mileage fuel borne catalyst because it burns 70 percent more than carbon and older engines from 
2002 and down are not compatible with ultra-low sulfur fuel. You know, the ultra-low sulfur fuel hit us in the mid-90s, and then again, uh, they did it a second time in the late 90s. So those engines uh, are not so compatible with this fuel. So if you put the catalyst in it, it helps burn that carbon and eliminate these problems. Got it. And another thing I wanted to talk about is uh, detailing your truck. If a truck looks good and runs good, you don't feel the urge to trade it in. And if you notice, truck dealerships mostly now are along the interstates where all the new trucks are lined up, just like McDonald's and Harley-Davidson's. And you, you get that urge to just pull in there and sign your name and drive out with a brand-new truck and hopefully leave all your old problems behind. But if you take care of those little things with that truck, and I know a lot of guys don't want to take the time to detail, um, but on boats, we have people to go around and detail boats. I'm sure uh, boat detailers wouldn't mind detailing a semi-truck or find somebody that's willing to come to your home or wherever you park your truck whenever you're there and detail it because it certainly makes the paint and the stainless and the chrome and everything lives so much longer. I use Lucas Slickness. Every time I wash a vehicle, a motorcycle, lawnmower, uh, I put Lucas Slickness on it, and it's amazing how it really protects the paint, even on my vehicles that sit out in the sunshine. And some of them are uh, 12 and 13 years old, and the paint's still beautiful. Outstanding. Um, oh, go ahead, Bruce. That's all I have. Okay. I was... Uh still trying to deal with some audio issues over here, but I think we've got it under control. So I'm going to bring Leroy in and find out what's on his mind this morning. Leroy, good morning. Good morning, Kevin. What's uh, what's new and exciting in your world this week? Um, I would say, okay, this is, this is interesting because it's nothing new and it's not exciting, but it's just, I'm going to just talk about a few stories that maybe we can uh, get some sort of moral out of. So I, I've had two calls this week for fan issues on older ISX CM870 engines. These are the like 2005 to 2007 engines, right? And I don't usually get a lot of calls about them as far as fan issues. So it was kind of weird that I've had two this week and they were both remote calls and the first one sort of goes like this and i guess where i'll start for some context is the 870 ecm can be set up to have fan on with ground or it can be set up for the fan is on with 12 volts basically you can set up in the ecm which type of fan solenoid you have so you don't have to interchange because some of them are normally open and some of them are normally closed so the ECM has this program in it. And this guy says that he has his truck in his shop. It's at one of our remote dealers. And he says the, the fan used to run all the time. I went to a shop. They said they fixed it. They charged me $700. And now it doesn't work ever. And I'm having all these issues, right? And I, I go in and we ran the... 
fan override test, which basically just means we start the engine and you can go into the Cummins software and force the fan to come on to see if it works or not. Well, the fan doesn't come on. All right. Well, now I look through the features and parameters because sometimes they're set up wrong. Most of the time they're not, but it's always sort of check the easy things first, right? Rather than having them go through the wiring and check the fan solenoid. I was like, let's just see if they're set up right. Well, what they had done was instead of having it the 12 volt fan on, they had it the zero volt fan on, which basically means that the fan works backwards. So whenever the ECM wants the fan on, it would turn the fan off. And then whenever the fan would, it would want the fan off, it would turn it on. So basically the fan would work backwards. And it was just a really simple fix to make a long story short. It was a couple of clicks of a mouse and the guy's fan works perfect. We re-ran the fan override test and everything works the way it's supposed to. And the guy's like, I don't understand why you fixed it in four minutes. And this other guy had it for half the day and he charged me $700. And then the fan refused to work after that. And I was like, I- I'm not sure what they did. He's like, well, I do. I have the work order. So we look back at the work order and what they did was they, it said on the, the work order that the fan was stuck on all the time. So we disabled the manual fan input and we um, inverted the output, which basically means the change the fans all night. This basically forces the fan just to be off. So instead of fixing the fan issue where it runs all the time, they just made it so it never turned on is basically what they did. <laughs> and like I said, it's, it's nothing new, but it's just one of those sort of sad stories I hear occasionally where, you know, I just don't know why it's so hard to fix. I mean, it's not even a fix what they did. They basically just, just made his issue go away. It's a lot like sometimes you go to the doctor and you have this <laughs> yeah. symptom and they just give you medication just to make it go away. Just hide like, well, that time. doesn't actually feel like, yeah, it doesn't change the fact that I have heart issues. It just, you know, I just don't have these other symptoms. It's yeah. basically what they did. They just disabled the fan. Oh, fans on all the time? How about I just disable the fan? There you go. I don't know what you're worried about. There you go. You, you know, one of my favorite remedies when people call me with strange noises? Mm. Turn up the radio. Don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> Work yeah, turn up time. the radio or... <laughs> it's like the same thing as... uh. You know, oh, it, when I make this turn or when I do this, it makes this weird noise. Well, just don't do just that. Just don't do that. Yeah. Turn up the radio. Or just I know. Do that. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I get people that call me all the time and say, my fuel mileage sucks today. I'm driving into a headwind. Turn around and go the other way then. At 80, yeah, at 80 miles an hour in my 389. Right. Just turn around and go the other call way. It, now you got a tailwind. It. You'll have great fuel mileage. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's easy. So it was that one and another very similar one where the fan was just, again, just set up improperly just to make the driver happy and go away. I don't know if this is just because a lot of shops out there are just getting paid per job. And, you know, we have an issue where, um, sorry. Uh-oh. Or, or somebody, oh, yeah, I had a, had a little issue with the mic there for a sec. Got it. Um, yeah, where people are coming in and they just got to get the, sh- the truck out as fast as they can. And it doesn't matter. Fan comes in all the time. You just shut it off there. You get your, your payment. The guy's out your hair. You know, a lot of these guys, it's just another truck to them. You know, it's not, they don't view it as this is somebody's livelihood. This is, you know, 
this is important for getting loads from here to there. They don't see it that way. To them, it's just a job and it's just another truck. And it's, and it's sad to see because it's, it feels like that happens a lot. Yeah, there's no doubt. I, I've talked about this whole phenomenon everywhere. Customer service is horrible anymore. People just don't seem to be very competent in their jobs. We, we That just seems to be rampant everywhere. But when you look at trucking and maintenance, we've got some serious issues. You, you know, you, you've got a lot of the older mechanics who are now retiring, just like trucking. We're at the end of the baby boom, and now we're starting to lose a lot of really experienced people from a lot of industries. And then we've got a lot of new people coming in and these trucks get more and more complicated every year. You can send these new mechanics to all the training you want, but you can't replace experience. And that's what we're going to start facing. And it's going to get worse every year for a while that we're losing all of that experience and we have these people that are trained on these new trucks. They just don't have the history and the experience. We've talked about troubleshooting a lot. And that's that's what seems to be missing. It is a skill. You know, we talked about the book. Read the book. It helps. But once you have those skills, then the next thing you have to have is lots and lots of experience. And that just takes time. There's no way around that. It, part of troubleshooting right. is having enough experience to know all of the things that could cause this problem, then knowing which is most likely out of all of them and being able to put them in an order to save a lot of time. And the only way to acquire all of that is just pure time. And we're losing all that. And I mean, I think what you can do is, as a driver or somebody that goes to one of these places, I mean, you, this almost could apply everywhere is if this guy gets his work order back and it has this notes at the bottom, this is what they did. You could just be like, Oh, well, what does this mean? You know? And then have right. the guy explain it to you. If she can't explain it to you, then get the guy that can. And if the guy starts, well, you know, da, da, I mean, really try to understand what he's talking about and see if that even makes sense. I mean, it's, it's fairly easy to see what's BS and what's not, not because through just, pure technical knowledge, but just like if their logical train of thought doesn't make sense. Exactly. Like, oh, what does this mean when you when you change its fan output to this? Well, that made the fan turn off. Well, what is that for? You know, you don't have to know anything about it. Just That's, keep asking questions. What was the old philosopher that used to do that? He didn't explain anything. He just kept asking questions until you figured it out. So I can't think of his name. Yeah, I can't either. But anyway, yeah, just do that to the service life. I know who you're talking about, and this is a rant I go on once in a while, and it's probably a good time for this rant right now. You know what my favorite question is? When, I, when I'm talking, you know, just like you're talking about now, when I'm dealing with somebody, uh, whether it's a shop or a vendor, whatever it might be, I act like a three-year-old. Right. Every time they say yeah. something, I just say, why? Why not? Why? Why not? I just keep repeating every time they say, just say that again. You'll find out real quick whether somebody really knows what they're talking about or whether they're just repeating something they've heard. Yeah, because if they if they can't follow it to an nth degree, and if they get to some point where you keep asking why, and they're having a hard time, because might be, they might be having a hard time verbalizing right. or explaining it to you in a way that you can get. They should be able to be like, all right, let me pull up a picture or let me take you out to the truck exactly. and show you. Maybe that would, but if they just give you dead answers and like, well, this is what we did and it worked. 
You know, that's not a great warm and fuzzy feeling. Yeah, that's that's absolutely right. You know, I'm dealing with this right now in two different areas with owner operators. You know, owner operators are struggling right now. The the rates are dropping faster than I have ever seen them drop. I've never seen anything quite like the last two or three weeks with rates. It's happening that fast. So obviously this is when, you know, owner operators start to struggle. Things get difficult. They, we haven't faced this in a long time and their immediate reaction is they want to blame everybody else. And it's not that they're completely wrong. Like we could blame the shop, right? The shop is supposed to know how to fix our truck. We took it to them. We paid them. We can now blame them. Well, you can do that if you want. It's a really bad strategy because the minute you blame somebody else for anything, you just lost control. You can't control other people no matter how hard you try. And if you make everything somebody else's fault, you've now lost all control. I don't care whether it's true or not. doesn't matter that the shop screwed up. They're, they're blaming brokers. Brokers are get, being hurt by this economy just as much as everybody else, probably more so than the carriers are right now. And yet we just, everybody just wants to blame them. That broker screwed me. That shop screwed me. Then when I ask them, what is this your shop? Is this your primary broker? Is this one of your three to five brokers you should be working with and a couple of shops that you've really found and you know they know what they're doing and you've built that. Well, well, no, who has time for that? Well, you know, then if you don't have time to go out and find really good, competent people and question them and make sure they understand this stuff and then work with them, if you haven't done that, then deal with it then. This is your reality. You're going to be blaming everybody else and thinking it's all their fault right up until the day you go out of business. And I mean, like you mentioned, if if you get to a, a guy and he can't explain it to you, then he should at least have the integrity to say, hey, you know, I don't I don't exactly know. You know, I'm under trained, yada, yada, yada. And I have seen this a bunch on other trucks and this usually fixes it. Exactly. You know, that doesn't give you the warm feeling that it's exact, but at least, you know, hey, I took it to a, a place. They didn't exactly know the kid there or the guy there. He, he did his best right. uh, that he could with what he had. He doesn't really know. Uh, you know I'm not going to go out and take new loads that, you know, I don't know if this is going to work or not. Right. You, you know, this shouldn't happen a lot, but it absolutely happens every now and then. And you know, it, it as much as we troubleshoot and we want to understand, doesn't it happen every now and then that you fix something and you're not sure how? Yeah, it's either that or sometimes, you know, you just don't have the resources, like mostly just the time to to tear everything apart and, you know, fix it the right way. Sometimes right. you just got to go off of an instinct or a gut or anecdotal stories. I mean, I'm typically, I make decisions uh, by data. I'm a very data-driven person. You can tell, you listen to me all the time. Right. Look at the gauges, get the numbers, yada, yada, yada. Right? But, um, it. If you don't know, sometimes you just got to make a gut gut decision and, you know, with the best knowledge that you have, like, well, it sort of seems like it's this. And I remember one time we cleaned out a uh, EGR Venturi tube. The EGR was acting up and we're like, 
it really seems like it's that. I don't know how much soot in those crossover pipes is too much. You know, it looks like too much to me, but there's no number, there's no statistic or specification for how clean those pipes are supposed to be. I'm like, well, let's just try it and see if it works. We ended up cleaning it and it, and it fixed it. I can't give you a, a data reason why or really a technical reason why. I can tell you what I think happened, but either way that the EGR was sort of fixed after we cleaned that uh, Venturi piece. So yeah, like you said, sometimes you just got to make a gut decision. Yeah. Yep. All right. Anybody have anything else or should we get to some calls? I I can tell you that once diesel engine manufacturers went to world manufacturing, parts made in China, parts made in Singapore, parts made in Mexico, that's when we decided we had to start balancing rods and pistons to make sure that we had a smooth engine because it seems like different parts of the world may use different specs and you never know who made that part. You know, back to the Friday afternoon part. Yeah. So we had to go beyond and find out what was wrong. And a lot of times, back when I built turbochargers, you would mic everything and put it together. And you push very hard on the turbine wheel or the compressor wheel and you listen. You don't pull one one way and push one the other way. You you push the turbine wheel forward or you push the compressor wheel backwards. And you can just hear one of the wheels. So you take it back apart and you mic everything and everything is within that spec. Right? But what happens if you have a turbine housing and a bearing housing, the center section, that are machined on the minus tolerance? Now you have to take those two minuses. Now there's the problem. So you, and even though the parts are good, so you separate those parts. And you take a different bearing housing, a different turbine housing, maybe a different turbine wheel and put it together and the problem is gone. Bruce, you know that that concept of the Friday truck? I even mentioned this yesterday. I went a step further. I said I think it was a Thursday truck that was built before a four-day weekend. Um, You know, we've always (laughs) talked about that. I actually had somebody give me a much better explanation for why this occurs in manufactured parts, whether it's vehicles or whatever, Um, that you, you get these things that were put together and they seem to have all kinds of problems. The The better explanation that he gave me was it's the tooling. So all of these machines require replaceable tooling. The, the cutting parts, the bits, the blades, all those things get replaced on a pretty regular cycle. But he was telling me the difference from the way that tool will cut on the first day you put it in to the last day where they require it to come out and be replaced, the difference is big. Now, it might not look big. It's, you know, it might be thousands, but we're talking really, really tiny tolerances here. And that difference from the beginning to the end can make a difference. Correct. And I have heard that in the MBN 2003 Caterpillar, a lot of people blame those problems on tooling and the fact that that was the end 
of the single turbo engines in, the tooling wasn't replaced enough. That could have been. Uh, we found we found it wasn't that. It was no oh. electronics. Yeah, well, that too. We took we took the NBN, which was a disaster, and we made it a great engine. There was a lot of uh, big cam and some small cam Cummins engines that were the same way. They they were a disaster. Uh, I've had engines where the Cummins factory, like like the 838 and 840 CPL, that was an 840 in my Kenworth, and they said, you'll never be able to make that engine run good. It's strictly a high fuel mileage fleet engine, and we did with it. We took 350s and made them 500 without changing pistons, without changing timing, just changing the turbine housing, putting the dual fuel line kit on it, and... We reflow in the pump and the injectors, and we always put a new torsional damper on because most of those are old. And they ran great. We had a guy that ran Phoenix to Los Angeles and back with an old J.B. Hunt cab over. Remember those with the setback axle? Oh, yeah. And we kept fuel. We tried to blow that 840 CPL up. He, he, he said, uh, I just want to blow it up. I just want to see what it'll take. And it never blew. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, it was a bastard engine, you know. And, right. Uh, God, I bet we had over 600 horsepower out of that 350. Wow. Yeah, that's impressive. Um, you know, I love it when the factory engineers call you and tell you you won't be able to do anything with this, and then we do something with it. Yeah, Absolutely. All right, let's uh, let's grab some phone calls. They're starting to pile up on us. Phone lines are open, 855-950-3835. We'll stay here till, uh, well, till 11 o'clock or till we run out of calls. Totally up to you. Let's get started in Oklahoma. Paul, howdy. Howdy. So the mar- i got a few things now. So the moral of Leroy's story is be careful of what shop you choose to take your truck to absolutely you know and and let's just extend it because i'm seeing a lot of people complain about everybody now um be very careful about who you choose to do business with in every aspect of your life really yeah so that qsk 19 they still stick them in Trucks down in Aussie, Kenworth, C, I'm not sure they're C510s or C540s, but they put that QSK19 into the a lot of the mining trucks down there. Mining trucks. What about the trucks that haul the trains? I think most of them are just running the X15, I think. Yeah. A lot of the, a lot of the mining stuff where they, they're running it. They, they even have... If they're pulling like six trailers in the mine, and then they'll have a like the third trailer, it actually has an engine in it, and so it, you know, more like a like a locomotive push and pull. So right, and they'll they'll pair them up. So, mm-hmm. oh, I know they're still building them in other parts of the world and and for the U.S., but it's all equipment, you know. No trucks. I'm not saying that you couldn't put one in a truck, and if we yeah. put one in a truck, it would be up to Leroy to make the ECM compatible with on highway. 
So, Kevin, in your in your coach is the kitchen right there at the front behind the driver's seat. Do what now? Is what there? In your coach is the kitchen, the cooktop. Is it right behind the driver's seat in your coach? No, it's halfway it? back on the passenger side. Okay, because my stepdaughter, she has a coach, and she was told it was it was like the they rearranged it, and the kitchen, the cooktop was right behind the driver's seat. I've never seen and, that. And they, yeah, well, she's been told it's the it's the only one like it. So it's an 08, but not long after that they went out of business. But it it has a it has a ISL Cummins motor in it. Who? What coach is this? About a year ago, country coach, country coach. Really? What? How? What's the size? Do you know how many feet? Well, I think it's about forty-five. Tandem axle or single? It's uh, three axles altogether. One at the front. It is three driving. Then really? Yep. Well, first off, it's odd that they put an I. You said an ISL. Yeah, because it's odd that they put the ISL in in their 45-foot tandem, though. I don't think I've ever seen that either. Yeah, well, because she said, oh, it's got a Cummins engine in it. And I thought, oh, it's probably about a 10 or 11 liter. Or she'd been having some troubles with it. I went around there yesterday because she said, oh, it seems to want to do that regen stuff all the time. She said, it did one on the last trip. And she said, it's smoky out. Oh, well, maybe you got a leak. So I went around there yesterday, and she wasn't there. I got there before her. So I, I said, well, I'm killing time, and the 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 engine cover won't lock. So I put it up. I'm looking around, and then I get underneath, and it's like, oh, I see why you haven't uh, getting smoked out. Because the DPF, it's, it's on the right-hand side right at the back. Well, it's been dragged on the ground, and the clamp got bent, and then somebody, once again, I'm pretty sure it was like this when they got it, but you got to choose the shop. You have work on it. Well, they've wrapped the wire, a steel wire, around the two steel wires around the muffler. They got it tied up good, but the clamp was loose, and it actually, you know how it's in sections? Well, it pulled it apart. And I'd say she'll need a complete new DPF filter because it's right there behind the wheels. So and they they drive it in the sand and water and everything. So here's yeah. here's like part of the, the problem. The yeah, here's part of the problem with Country Coach. Um, so one of yeah. the you know not top of the line, not first tier, but it's it's high second tier on quality. One of the definitely one of the better coaches made. 08 is when the recession hit. It was really rough on the RV industry, and that's when Country Coach started to go out of business. But they they were still building coaches in the 2010 year. There are some 2010s out there. The problem is I I know the people at the factory really well. Um, what, What happened in 08, 09, and 2010 you can forget trying to use the build sheet to figure out what's on your coach or how it was built. They said the build sheets okay. are garbage because all they were doing was grabbing parts and putting coaches together with whatever parts they could find. 
they, they would but, run out of yeah. one part and because there was no cash they wouldn't rebuy that part they would go find whatever they had in the bin to put a coach together with i had it i, I got it a little bit on my 07 that when i had to replace the charger cooler um leroy remember that job Oh yeah, I remember. Yeah, part part of the problem yeah, well, was they they couldn't match up any parts from the build sheet, and that's when they started telling me the build sheets were inaccurate. And then in oh eight, nine, and ten, that problem just got worse every year. Yeah, well, I see, I see that big charge air cooler on the side of it. The damn thing's huge. Oh, it's a monster. Yeah, yeah it's it's yeah it's the biggest uh, charger cooler I've ever dealt though. with. Not very strong when you put eighty pounds of boost to it. <laughs> so that's right. So I've, I've I found I found a couple of other problems. Yeah, it's got some chafed hoses and stuff like that. But so we went for because I've never been it. Went for a ride in it yesterday, and it'll do about thirty three, thirty four pounds of boost. Okay. According to the manual, it says. According to the manual, it says. Uh, Eight point nine, and it said at four hundred horsepower. But I would have thought for uh, thirty three, thirty four pound of boost is probably more than four hundred horse. Isn't it? it sounds like it, doesn't it, Bruce? Yes, I would think so. Usually those were four fifty horse. That's what I thought. But we work on so few of them that I can't give you the boost versus horsepower number on that one. Okay. I could make a phone call and get back and let you know. Um, but um, I know we program them. They certainly make it. Uh, 77, 230. Yeah. Chafing hoses will become one of the bigger problems on this coach. Yeah, well, I, I got under there. Yeah, I was waiting for her to get there. I'm just looking around and. And, and like the AC hoses where they come round and they lay across the back there and it's sitting right on top of a zip tie. And I, oh, that, that's going to be a hole shortly. And I, I'll probably go and tie some of that stuff up on the weekend. But uh, I have a um, feeling you're talking about the same hoses that uh, Leroy, remember that repair? I also remember that too. Yeah, it, I, I replaced those. I, it started leaking again. We we did a good repair on it. It worked the whole way back, uh, and it worked for quite a while after that. But this last time when I went to take it down to the shop, I saw that it was leaking. So I and those the reason you and I didn't replace them. Remember how far they went up into the chassis? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. So we did the temporary fix. I, I had to replace those. So again, it, hoses are. Mine all started to hit around 80,000 miles. Now I'm at 180,000, uh, and that's been my single biggest problem, almost my only problem, really, mechanically, just chafing hoses over and over and over. You know, that brings back, um, Leroy and I had a discussion about getting on a creeper and getting under your truck once a week or every other week and just looking and tying things up and replacing things that are about to fail 
you've got to get underneath the truck to do that. And if you're on a gravel driveway, we had a gravel driveway as a kid, my dad would save cardboard and we'd put the cardboard down and get underneath the vehicles on the cardboard so you're not on the gravel. Not everybody has a concrete slab or driveway or garage, but there's ways to do that. A four by eight sheet of plywood works too, but get under the vehicle and get it cleaned every so many months, pressure wash underneath that truck and just look for things because this happens. Yep. So teach your, it's probably, it's probably, well, I guarantee you if it had a damper replaced, she should probably replace the damper with a balance of that you have fit on that or. Yeah, we do not have a balancer for the ISL, but we can get her a damper. Okay. And she could be running the Max Mileage Catalyst in that coach. Well, I, I actually gave her a gallon of it for her birthday last year, but yesterday... That's awesome. Time, well, yesterday is the first time she she put any of it in. So, cause that, that's a wonderful birthday or Christmas present, by the way. Gallon of Max Mileage. She likes diamonds and gold, and I said, this is a form of carbon, so he, or carbon-reducing stuff. So. I gave it to him. I I was talking to, I think he was an owner-operator or a boater, and he married a farm girl from Maine. And uh, and she looks like she's about in her 50s now. Her Christmas present this past year was a Massey Ferguson tractor with an auger on the back so she could build fences. And she loved it. So... So do you have any do you have any ideas on a price for a DPF for that thing? Because it, it kind of looks like it's about the same size as mine. Actually, it looks a little smaller than mine. But I don't have any clue at all. It's interesting. Most of the '08s that they were building yeah. then didn't. I, have I would DPF. probably assume around two thousand, but that's just shot in the dark. Give or take, thousands yeah. either way. So plus the plus the overpriced labor to put it in. Oh yeah, yeah, and you got my gas. Putting the, like put the DPF muffler on would be the easy job. I'm thinking so. That's kind of accessible, but yeah. So okay, I'll tell her to get busy and find a good shop somewhere. So there you go. Hey, yep. especially since it's a country coach, anytime she has a question, let me know. Pretty well tied in with them down at the factory. Yeah, well, the, she still had, she pulled the. She pulled the the booklet out yesterday because I said well, it had half tank of fuel in it. I said, "So how big's the fuel tank?" She said, "I don't know," because her, her soon-to-be ex-husband sort of took care of everything, but not very well from the signs of it. Um, so, if it's the forty-five foot tandem, well, it, it should have a hundred and twenty-five gallon fuel tank. Well, in the in the in the book, it said a hundred and ten, so it was half full, about half full. And we put 50 gallons in it, and it come up to full. So I told her, I said, well, just 25, one ounce per 25 gallons on the catalyst. But, um, yeah, she's in for a bit of a learning curve, but she'll be able to handle it. So Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, the, the Moroni, when, when she pulled the book out, the, the original Moroni sticker hey, was in there. And hey, it was uh, four, just under 420 grand. Yeah. Yeah. That 
And and this is this is a three axle, right? You're sure? Dan Skippy, one in the front, single drive, and then a single tied third axle. Yep, boy, this is such an odd coach. I just, I don't. I've looked at a lot of country coaches. I've never heard one like this with that weird kitchen, yeah. with the the ISL in it, with just everything you're explaining is just such an odd. So what is she planning on using this for? Um, she likes to go. And, well, at, at the moment, she started to live in it, but um, they like to go with their razors and go and do all that kind of stuff. And Okay. They've uh- done... The reason I'm asking is if she ever gets if she ever gets a chance, she may not be aware. Even though the company went out of business, the factory is still there. She's aware of the one in Oregon. Yeah, yeah. the, the factory is still there in uh, Junction City, Oregon. Still run by most of the same people. All the technicians are from yeah. you know Country Coach. The management, the it's three guys that own it. They they you know, kept the business going and they do consignment, resale and repair and storage and just a really good group. They're the only people that ever work on that coach. That's why when I'm on the road, it doesn't go to the shop. If I'm on the road, I do the work myself as bad as that is. Um, it yeah. certainly helped Bruce that you gave me use of the garage for a month. Um, that helped a lot, but I, I would encourage her to schedule a trip up there at some point and let the factory go over it. They're really good. Well, she did. She knows, she knows about them because I said, well, you'll have to find a good shop that knows what they're doing. And she said, well, there's the place in Oregon where the three, there's yep. three guys that now yeah. they own it. So she, she knows about it. So. Yeah, I, I I know those guys really well. I've spent a lot of time down there. In fact, I'll be down there again here soon. Mine's mine's still down there. Um, but yeah, I, yeah. I, she really should get it in there. Okay. Right. The other thing they're really, really good about, really good, like the whole month I was in Pittsburgh and doing a lot of this stuff myself, I probably called them every day. And they were, they're so patient. Yep. They take the time. They helped me fix what I needed to fix. And so, again, I can't can't uh, recommend them enough. Okay. So you, you, you probably don't know this, but if, if she called them and said, hey, I need to get my coach and how long's the wait? Is it two, it's, two weeks or five months? <laughs> I'll bet it's at least a month for most things right now. It might be three or four months for the body shop. The body shop's always way behind. Um, and right now is almost the worst time of the year. Everybody's pulling their coaches out of storage for the summer season and getting them worked on. So if she okay. wants to get in there, she better call soon. Okay. All right. Thanks. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Let's go to Wisconsin. Scott, welcome to the program. Good morning, guys. I'm a snake oil guy from last week, and I wanted to talk to Bruce a little bit more about it. All right. Okay. Bruce, after I got off the phone last week, you had a question about hard parts. You asked um, about the damper and uh, exhaust manifold and stuff like that. Snake oil, too. And... To me, with hard parts, it's a lot more justifiable and easy to prove. And when you can see and touch and feel something, it's a whole different story. 
okay? Um, I'm coming from a background in small trucks and vehicles, and any auto parts store you go in has 40 feet, 40 square feet or more of stuff that is probably 70 or 80% snake oil because there's all kinds of additives that say they do this, say they do that, and almost all of them are absolute junk. And that's why it automatically comes up with snake oil. I didn't mean to be abrasive or anything like that. It's just part of my terminology. And I wanted to give you a little bit more of a, uh update on what I'm finding, too. Okay. You're on your first gallon, correct? I am. I've put in 620 gallons of diesel so far with this stuff. Okay. And on which engine? It's a, it's a Ram pickup with a 6.7 Cummins. And I oh, okay. Can't... All right. Yeah, and it's efficient, remember, so it's a whole different thing, but I'm still finding really good results. Okay. Uh, when I got back from my Idaho trip last week when I was talking to you guys, the funniest thing was um, I had a black lab dog that knows I'm coming. We live on the country, and he knows I'm coming when I hit the creek that's a mile and a half away. He didn't know I was coming this time because my truck sounds different. It's quieter, it doesn't rattle, and it's just a whole different sound, and he freaked out when I came in the driveway instead of waiting at the door and my wife goes at home because the dog's sitting there waiting. You know, um, you probably never heard me tell the story. I had a shepherd and he was my garage dog in the race car shop and my dad had a small furniture store, 1500 Series International and the shepherd would hear the truck a mile away. He'd run to the end of the driveway, his tail would wag and he'd sit there with his ears up. I knew I had 60 seconds if I was doing something I shouldn't have been doing before dad pulled in the driveway. And now you're telling me. So, so we know that this happens. We know dogs know the sound of your vehicle. They also know a dog knows your heartbeat, I heard, 20 feet away. They know if there's something wrong with your heart. But you said your dog knows a mile and a half away. That's really good. And, uh, yep. yeah, so the, Hey, I'm going to, so the dog, I'm going to jump in here real quick. I watched a video the other day that was absolutely amazing. It was a dog out in a yard, fenced yard, blind and deaf dog. Can't see or hear. It knows every day when its owner's coming down the street somehow. Yep. How do you, how, I mean, it can't see, it can't hear. What other sense does this dog use to, you watch it and every time the owner pulls down the street, the dog gets all excited and runs over to that part of the fence and waits. I mean, dogs are amazing. When I'm out in the woods, I hunt a little bit, but I'm out in the woods a lot because it's kind of my relaxation thing and I got woods and I'm out cutting wood or whatever. And I always have a dog with me because, all you got to do is pay attention to the dog, and you know what's going on in the next quarter mile around you every which way. Yep. Yes. Yes, you do. I went 46 years without one, and I have one now, and it's just it's just incredible with this little mini golden doodle that's 17 pounds. What's, he's three years and six days old right now, and what I'm learning from this fellow. So, but go ahead. What other changes have you noticed in the RAM? Yeah, when I'm hauling, I'm not noticing a lot other than it seems to be using quite a bit less boost. On my uh, tuner gauge, I've got a dedicated gauge in here, and I just like to monitor everything. 
and one of the parameters I'm always watching is boost, and it has a maximum boost where whatever I get uh, during that trip is showing a maximum output. And it's using between two and three less pounds as maximum when I'm throwing. So I thought that was kind of interesting. And that could be the extra torque that you get from burning the fuel 33% faster and or the variable geometry pins are getting clean in the turbo from the catalyst. Leroy, what, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think my, I'm thinking the same thing about that you're thinking about the, about putting the VGT and stuff like that. Especially if you cleaned out, well, I mean, I think you said this thing was taken care of, so it wouldn't be like any EGR sensors or anything like that. Well, think yeah. about if you, if, if you, if you gain torque because it's burning the fuel more efficiently, you would need less boost to do the same job. That's interesting. I thought that was pretty cool. And then when I'm empty, I've been keeping track of, I've had three different rounds, but they're all identical. Exactly the same crew cab, short bed, same weight, everything. I, I want to go back and explore this for a second. I, I'm not sure I'm getting that. To me, the only thing that should reduce the amount of boost I need to travel a certain road distance, whatever it might be, in order to lower boost, don't we have to free up resistance somewhere? I mean, if the fuel is burning better, is, isn't it the burning of the fuel that creates the boost in the first place? So if the fuel's burning better, don't we get more boost by default? Not less. Well, when it's a VGT, you can't, when it's a VGT, you can't uh, really like go off of that uh, logic. Never, it'll do what it wants. Uh, yeah, never mind. Yeah, I, missed, I missed the VGT. There's a, there's a merit to what you're saying. If it's cleaning out the DPF, oh, then yes. he's blowing more exhaust. So, yes. That's what yeah. I missed. I said we, we have to be reducing some kind of resistance somewhere, and you just explained we are. We're reducing resistance in the exhaust stream. Yeah. Okay. okay. And then this, this doesn't have an exhaust stream, but, what? Kevin, to your point, I think uh, I'm wait, cleaning up. Wait, filter. say that again. What do you mean it doesn't have an exhaust stream? It has to. Yeah, it's a... It's a a very free-flowing exhaust stream without restriction. This truck's been deleted. Again, we're back to my point being that if we lowered boost, we had to reduce restriction and resistance somewhere, and we did. We now know where we did. I think that we cleaned up the overhead enough where it might be a better kind of a more free-flowing engine completely now that it's cleaning up who knows what. Yeah, it's interesting. Well, keep us keep us updated. Yeah, when I'm empty, I don't see much of a fuel difference, and it's still kind of early because I do longer-term fuel uh, records. Um, but when I'm empty, I am seeing uh, fuel mileage that I have never seen in any one of my three Ram trucks. I'm getting between 1.7 and 2 miles per gallon better. And it's not just that it's spring fuel and maybe summer fuel coming in instead of winter blend or something, because I keep track of that every year. And I'm looking back over the last four years, and I've never seen numbers like this. So I really think that maybe this truck just needed a really good thorough cleaning, and now the engine is just 
running the way it should. Yeah, that's yeah. The catalyst is not made for fuel mileage; it's made for cleaning. And but when everything's clean, wonderful things can happen like that. So that's good. I really love the dog story, though. I, you know, that dog story that was interesting. I, I can relate to that. Yeah, Bruce. Since it might be cleaning it up, um, I did the overhead on this uh, forty thousand miles ago. I do it at one fifty, and then I do it about every hundred thousand because I didn't have a truck when it was new. Since it's cleaning up stuff and potentially removing soot, carbon, who knows what, somewhere in the in the upper part of the engine, should I be thinking about doing the overhead again? Or should I just not worry about it and just stay on my regular schedule? Well, here's what will be interesting. If you find the exhaust valves are tighter, that means it eliminated the carbon. Now, if you've got carbon between the valve face and the seat, that's a bad thing because that will burn a valve almost instantly on the first hill. But... It'll be interesting. When you go to set the overhead, see if the exhaust valves are any tighter and let me know. Okay. All, right. All right. I'll work on these next. One more thing right. about the caller after me last week has kind of ripped into me a little bit because I don't want it dose correctly. So I had a comment about that. Um, the reason I don't want to pull a syringe out at, at trucker pumps is I'm a little truck. Sometimes I'm just a pickup pulling in. Sometimes I've got a camper on behind, but the big trucks just plain old don't think I should be at those fuel pumps. But I have to pull to those fuel pumps to get my fuel card discount, and it's just part of trucking. They just don't understand that I'm a real truck, just a smaller version. So if I pull out a syringe and get it down to the CC, I'll probably get kicked out of the dang gas station. They already have a hard enough time with me being there blocking up the pumps. So that's why I'm kind of going by the seat of my pants, and it's too much of a bother. Um... And since I'm non-emission anyway, I don't think it's quite as important to get it down to the actual CC. But that's why if I pull out a syringe and I'm taking that much more time at a big truck gas pump, they're just not going to love it. You know, um, I've been driving diesel pickup trucks. I had a diesel Suburban. I put an Isuzu in Suburban back in around 1985. And if, if I can go in and use the auto diesel I do, but sometimes I can't and I have to get in line with the trucks. I've never had anybody come up and say anything negative towards me. But speaking it of that, Bruce, I, yes. I will tell you this is something okay. drivers complain about all the time. I, I've heard it, mm -hmm. RVs, whatever it might be. There are times, and you were the same way, Bruce, when you had your setup and you were traveling at 70-some feet long. You were, what, 86 feet long. Those are your only options. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, really I guess that I've never had that happen. I've never but had anybody say I was talking to me directly. But I, I've heard the complaints mm -hmm. over and over and over about RVs in truck stops, period. Um, or anybody that is in a Class A truck and trailer, they seem to think, there's a whole bunch of drivers who seem to think they have no right to be in a truck stop. Yeah. Yep. The other day, I found a mobile gas station that has non-ethanol 90 gasoline, and my cars love it, so... There's a 
Ford pickup truck with a construction trailer blocking this pump, and nobody's in the pickup. And this is a 7-Eleven. So two, two younger fellows came out, and they had sandwiches, like a submarine sandwich. So I figured, oh, they're going to get in their pickup truck, and they're going to start it up and leave. They see me sitting behind them. They were eating their sandwich. Oh, no way. They weren't moving. Oh. I gave him an extra five minutes. I finally walked up and I knocked on the door. I said, would it be possible? This is the only pump that has non-ethanol. And so he moved out of the way. Can you imagine the audacity of Bruce. sitting at a fuel pump Bruce. eating your sandwich? Bruce, Bruce, I know it's been a little while since you've dealt with the pumps at most truck stops. This is the most things about trucking. I don't complain about too much. Doesn't do any good to complain anyway. This is the one that makes me insane. I hate getting fuel on the road. You would not believe what truck drivers do these days at the fuel pumps. They will sit there or leave their truck there for all kinds of screwy reasons. It it makes me insane. Okay, there. There's one other thing about uh, men's rooms in gas stations and truck stops. I've seen a sign that says, uh, this is for a urinal, stand closer, it's shorter than you think. <laughs> Why does the floor always have to be covered with urine? <laughs> hey, it's easy. the gym that I went to, and most of these guys were college educated, it was the same one. I would watch guys walk up and stand in that pee on the floor in their bare feet. And I thought, oh, really? You have a bachelor and a master's degree in finance, and you, you stand in a, other people's pee. But, yeah, it's just, I like that sign, stand closer. It's shorter than you think. Bruce, maybe that's why I see people all the time washing their feet up in the sinks at the truck stop. Maybe they're actually trying oh, to wash the pants off their feet. I don't know. Uh, maybe. maybe. Yeah. I mean, it's just. It's just all right. Uh, we're we're, we're going to move on for from. Lightness. We're going to move on from this topic. All right. Thanks for the call. Let's go to Indiana. Pete, welcome to the program. Good morning. I have a question. I have, I'm restoring emission systems on a Kenworth 680 2014 model with ISX. Um, I was under the truck and uh, I noticed that my after treatment harness is really, it, I don't see any broken wires, but I see it's, um, all the uh, heat shield on it is basically completely rubbed off. Or Hey, Pete, let me ask yep. you a question. You said you're mm-hmm. restoring sure. the emissions. Are we just repairing <laughs> stuff or are we replacing things that have been deleted? Correct, replacing uh, okay. deleted stuff. That, that's, that's an important part so, of the story here. Go ahead. Yeah, and uh, all the, the after-treatment wiring harness that goes from the DPF to the truck side is it, like, the heat shield's completely removed on it. It's been hanging down, so it's obviously been getting wet and whatnot. I was wondering if I should replace that and possibly the seventh injector while um, because I just ordered your manifold and it'll be there Friday. And uh, I was wondering since all that's going to be off anyway, should I do the uh, injector too for the DPS? Um. So as far as the insulation goes, I mean, I would replace it. I mean, I can't tell you if you can run it with it or without it. You might be able to, but it's probably not a risk I would want to chance. I would see if I could find some sort of just heat, you know, heat shield insulation. It doesn't even have to be from Cummins. I would just get like sort of a generic one. It would probably be cheaper than trying to get something from Cummins. Um, and then as far as the seventh injector, I would I would just first 
just visually look at it, see if it has carbon built up in the bottom. And then as soon as you get everything back together, go do a test regen. If you, if everything comes up to temp in like 10 minutes, I wouldn't worry about replacing the seventh ejector. I would save yourself a little bit of money and then just wait to replace when you have issues. Okay. And then my last question would be about gearing. So, I was reading an article that says uh, direct drive is obviously the best and the minus 91 on a 13 speed of your current gears, but Packard doesn't have that <laughs> option to go that, that high. 264s would be the highest. Um, am I going to benefit at all from going to from a 325 to a 264? Uh, you can't do a, go to a 247. I would have to do a cutoff, and that's not out of the option because I, I can't stand my axles currently because they get the um, they the axle flex to them, so I, I kind of wear down the inner tire quite often on mine. So yeah. a cutoff wasn't out of the option. I was just yeah, trying to find possibly a cheaper route, and I'm going to spend eight grand doing a cutoff easily. So, so you had eaten rears, correct? Yes. The two forty seven is an eaten gear ratio. That's what all the new Walmart trucks are running, 247. Yeah, I've been down this road quite a bit. Uh, several different shops. One says, oh, yeah, we can do it. And then they call you back and say, no, you can't do it. The highest you can go is a, to a 264 on it. Because it won't fit in the pumpkin. won't fit in the housing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let me give you some numbers here. I would like to try and keep my speed right around... 67 miles an hour, you know, that's kind of where I'd like to be at. With 247, low pro 22.5 tires. Yeah. 65, you're at 1375. 264, at 65, you're at 1464. So you'd be okay with a 264. Okay. And uh, my final question, I guess, would be on the tune. I'm not going to have you guys tune it right away. I'm, I'm going to just flash a 400 stock tune in here, which is what the truck came with. Um, just to, I guess, to get the base numbers up. So I, I track my fuel mods quite often, almost every time. Uh, what would be the safe rating you guys could turn that up to? I would love to try and get a 500, and I'd use my cruise control like 99% of the time. <laughs> yeah, you cruise can, control. I mean, from Cummins, from Cummins, I don't know if you can go to 500. You could probably go to like 475 or something like that. I don't know, maybe 485. Um, what CPL did you say you have? Uh, I should know this. I've been watching your post. Yeah, it's like the 3971 or something like that there. I don't quite remember. That's 3937? That sounds about right, yeah. Yeah, that's, the, that's a small CPL. Cal-tram. It's like, it's a, or not Caltram, in Cal, it's a, like 475 is the highest I can see on there. I just didn't know if it flash in decently, so I'm going to do the 400 for now. <laughs> yeah, I would do that or the 450. Um, okay. The 39, 38 was the mid-tier. They actually, that was one of the weird years they had at mid-tier. They don't really do that anymore. But that was the okay. one you could get a 500, but if you wanted to go to 500 or 550 with a 39, 37, you're completely safe there. I wouldn't worry about it. Um, I think that's a good number, especially if you're just trying to get fuel mileage. I probably wouldn't go much more than that. Um, yeah, I'm not, yeah, I'm not, I would like to get a little bit because I do 80,000 pounds almost every day. So. 
Where are you? Yeah, in the terrain. I'm sorry? Where are you located? I do mo- mainly the Midwest. Every now and then I'll go to, like, Virginia and Pennsylvania area, but okay. once in a while, Colorado, where I'm, but mainly the Midwest. See, I, I like to have excess power. I like to have an extra 100 and not have to use it, but drive it by the boost gauge. That's, that's how I prefer to have my truck set up. I'd be afraid that I wouldn't be able to <laughs> maybe control myself a little bit for a while with it. And, yeah, uh, I'm a little bit too much yeah. fun with it. So. It's not that bad. Kevin, you didn't have any trouble when you were driving my Kenworth control on your right foot, did you? Uh, I won't say I had any trouble, but you got to pay attention to it. You you have to drive that yeah. truck, which is, <laughs> it makes it fun. But you, you actively drive that truck, yes. But I like I like to drive the vehicle. I don't want the vehicle to drive me. Cruise control will rob you a half a mile of the gallon, so it's fine on dead level. But if you look at that boost gauge and you see it's going up three, four, five pounds, and then back down, and then up to up ten pounds, and then back down, I'm telling you, you're not on level terrain. You're better off to hold that throttle steady and let the speed vary two or three or five mile per hour. Okay. After a while, for some reason, like I turn off the cruise control and start using the foot, (laughs) my kneecap will start hurting. (laughs) How old are you? I am 33 years old. If you have a kneecap that's hurting you, that muscle that runs down the inside of your leg, if you get one of those uh, little massaging guns, it looks like a jackhammer. And you massage that muscle, it'll take that pain out of that knee because I get that too. And a, a young female masseuse told me about that muscle, and she was right. There's stretches I do every day for that muscle, and I also now massage it. I used to massage it with my thumbs. Now I use a machine. I'll have to try that. <laughs> okay, well, I appreciate y'all's input. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Let's head off to Florida this time. Randy, welcome to the program. Hey, good afternoon, everybody. Thank you for taking my call. Kevin, I found you through my over-the-road trainer, and through you, I found David and Rose, the Freedom Fleet. Ah. And it was an awesome program and until it wasn't, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. And through you, you know, yeah, it was that was a devastating. But through you, I met Bruce, and Bruce, you helped me buy last January 2016 International Pro Star, and you recommended Doc Holiday, and I finally found him, and I sent you an email with his contact number. Were you able to get a hold of him? Uh, I have the number, but I didn't. I had no reason to call him yet. But uh, oh, okay, yeah, I just wanted to make sure because obviously we lost track of him and stuff. So, but the trucks in the shop. You said he's at Cummins in El Paso, right? Yes, he's since moved to the Cummings El Paso, and they don't work on the Navistar engines at all, so I was kind of limited to where I Do you know why he left Border International? No, he did not get into that. Okay. At least as far as, you know, I I was concerned, but he did help me. I mean, we talked about the truck and, you know, some of the issues that I was having, Mm -hmm. and... uh, you know, between him and Cumberland International here in Ocala, Florida, we've been monitoring, you know, the, the engine light. And then Are you running the max mileage? Oh, yes, sir, from the very beginning. Okay. 
I've been running that max mileage. I actually, when I was at CFI, the company driver actually started playing with it. And then when I was with David and Rose, you know, through Landstar, you know, I ran it through the T660 and, you know, I've knock on wood have not had any, you know, issues with the exhaust systems. <laughs> so how is the max force working? Okay. For you? Yes. I'm very happy with the truck. You know, I mean, it's, it's been a good truck, you know, you and I reviewed the, the stats of it, you know, the specs and everything. When I first bought it a year ago, January, and for what I paid for it, you pretty much gave me the best advice. You said, for what you're paying for it, in this market, we could turn around and sell it and make money. So, um, matter of fact, after I picked it up and brought it down to Florida, I took it to Cumberland to do the first in- inspection of it. And um, the salesman actually offered me a lot more money for the truck. I said, look, if I sell you the truck, then I'm back to either becoming a company driver or I got to go find another truck. I said, no, I'm not ready to sell it. I just bought it. Yeah. So, and keep me in keep us in keep us informed of how the max mileage catalyst is doing with that max portion. Okay. Because I have talked to a company out of I want to say just outside of Macon, Georgia, about getting my filters and everything clean because the truck still even today only has it's 2016. It still only has what 247 thousand miles on it. I think you know, and it had 125 thousand original miles when I bought it. You know, so. You know, getting ready to you know take care of some stuff, but yeah, no, I'll keep you informed. And you know, like I said, right now, you know, it's running pretty good. So, are they a DPF alternative? The place you're going to get the filters cleaned? Yes. And the reason I talked to him because you the, when well initially when I first got my engine light, I spoke to you and the guys at the shop, and you were way out. And then finally, you know, we talked about the. Um, the engine light and some of the codes that I'm able to see through my ELD and everybody was pretty much in agreement that, you know, it's an, it's, you know, idiot light for, you know, and let's just kind of monitor it. So that's what I've been doing for the last couple months. But finally I started, it seemed to start triggering some additional codes. So I happened to be in Florida and it was like, all right, you know, time to get this done. Cause I've also got to renew my, you know, all my credentials and stuff. So I'm doing that actually mm-hmm. right now. And um, so the codes that I'm getting, because I know very little mechanical-wise, you know, I'm not scared of it and I'm willing to learn, but I just don't know. So right now, the main codes I'm getting is ECM switch voltage too high. That's sequence 1.1. 1.2 is after treatment control modular battery voltage too high, which I'm assuming those two are related. Then the fuel rail pressure relief valve failure now that says active but only one count but the one that we were tracking the eld you know with the the codes that i was able to see through the eld was the intake manifold pressure under boost that's showing active with a count of 28 and i spoke to doc about it i spoke to jason up here in florida and they all you know at that time you know a month or so ago they said now we'll you know monitor it if the light on the dash goes starts going red then we'll have to address it sooner than later but you know right now everybody seemed to think we were fine but then when i was here and i took it to cumberland they did a health report which pulls up some of the other things that i'm not able to see and i got a nox in power supply signal erratic intermediate or incorrect 
and also it knocks out power supply signal, erratic, intermediate, or correct. He said those last three, the intake manifold pressure and the knocks, the two knocks, he goes, those could realistically derate me. And that was the magic word. So it's been in the shop for two weeks because <laughs> they just haven't had time to get to it yet. And hopefully he gets to it this week. But my question is on the intake manifold pressure. I've looked it up online. I've tried to educate my little bit. Is that something that needs to be cleaned or is it something that needs to be replaced? The sensor oh. could be cleaned because the sensor does get dirty. So pull the sensor out and clean it with brake clean. But I'm going to let Leroy talk to you about this. Okay. Yeah, so just I guess just to reiterate, make sure I'm on the right page. You said it was an intake manifold pressure sensor, and you said it was like data valid but below normal? Let's see. It says, okay, so the three, the fuel rail pressure relief valve failure. Then from there, right under that, it has intake manifold pressure under boost. And that's the one that yeah. we've known about, you know, that we've been tracking. Right below that is the NOx in power supply signal erratic, intermediate, or incorrect. And then the NOx out power supply signal erratic, intermediate, or incorrect. And he said those three combined could realistically derate me. You know, and that's when I said, I'm done, you know, put the truck in the shop and let's get it addressed. Yeah, any any sort of issues with the knock sensors will derate you. Um, the boost sensor one, it's not going to direct you. De it's not going to directly derate you because of the fault. But w what it's what it means is it's looking for this boost sensor number. Let's say it's it's the ECM is looking for thirty pounds, and your truck only makes twenty five. Right? It's saying I'm supposed to be seeing more than I actually am. There's an issue. So like Bruce said, you can take the sensor out and clean it, uh, contact cleaner, brake cleaner, or something like that. Just be you know, careful. Don't try to scrape it with anything. Uh, okay. You don't want to break it. That's something that you can do to try to fix it. Um, and th the reason that I'm saying it doesn't directly derate you is it, it, there's no engine protection necessary for the boost sensor being like that. It's just going to limit you if it's under boost because of like smoke control limit. So okay. instead of giving you full fuel at 30 pounds, it's going to give you only as much fuel as 25 pounds allows you. So it's not a direct derate. It's just limiting fuel because it's only, it's seeing not enough boost. And it has um, over but, the last few weeks before I stopped driving, it had, my boost was not getting up to where I'm used to it over the last year of driving. Cause it would usually climb right up to 30 depending on the, you know, the, you know, where I was at. And, um, you know, I have to force it to get that high anymore, you know? So, and I just said, you know, obviously I'm losing, you know, boost. In this I thing. mean, the, the, other sort of the other things it could be is just like, you know, charge air cooler leaks in sort of any sort of intake system leaks, um, like a damaged turbo, um, inlet restrictions, things like that could also cause that code, but okay. you know, you just gotta, gotta have to go through it one by one and see what it is. Yeah, and that's, that's, we're getting, I'm just, you know, I figured I'd call today to get, you know, to educate myself a little more about this. Is so that way when they call me back, I can, you know, yeah. understand they, of it. the shop it's in, if they don't have the smoke tester, they need to use air pressure and pressurize the compressor housing of the turbo and then walk around and listen for leaks. Okay. Sounds to me like it, it could be a hose or a clamp, 
one of the hoses that connected the charge air core or connected the intake or connected the air compressor. Yeah, yeah, because uh, Doc Holiday gave me some instructions. He goes, look, he goes, check your air filter, make sure it didn't collapse. Look up in the system, follow the system, look for anything that's loose, collapsed, cracked. You know, and I did that, and I wasn't able to see anything. Doesn't mean it's not there. Just I wasn't able to see it. Do you have an air compressor at home? Yes, I do. If you take and you take the rubber elbow off going into the turbo, and you take a piece of steel, or you could even do a piece of thick plastic and drill it, seven sixteenths drill bit, quarter inch pipe tap, and put an air chuck in there. Put 20 pounds of air in it and walk around and listen. Okay. If you did, if you did that once or twice a once a month or every other month, you'd be surprised the little leaks you're going to find. Yeah. No, I'm sure these you know are, these roads are horrendous and these trucks get beat up. I don't care how well you try to maintain them, they're getting beat up right now. Eighty percent of our trucks that come into the shop have a boost leak. Huh. All right. We, te- we test every one. Yet sometimes we'll get a guy that will fight us and didn't, uh, he doesn't want to pay for that 15 minutes it takes us to test it because he didn't authorize it. And uh, I'm, I'm always going to rely on the educated over my little bit of knowledge because, you know, when you don't know, you don't know. So why sit there and fight right. with somebody? That's all I got. I just, you know, wanted to again, thank you for everything. You guys have totally helped me, you know, within this industry with having no ties to it. I love what I do. Excellent. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks right, for thank the call. You. Let's go to Texas. Fred, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin. Hi, Bruce. Hey, Leroy. How are you, how you guys doing today? Good. Uh, I want to comment a couple of things. Um, you know, my dog, my old dog used to love me more than my wife because when I locked them both in the trunk after an hour and I opened it up, the dog was happy to see me. She wasn't too thrilled. <laughs> I'm sure. Uh, but uh, hey, Real quick. Anyway. Real quick. I, yeah. I saw something the other day and I, it kind of fits here. It said, um, if you want to know loyalty, Lock your wife in the trunk for a couple hours and lock your dog in the truck for a couple hours and see who's happy to see you when you open it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's pretty mean. I don't think we should be talking about that. Somebody's going to try it. (laughs) You know what? Your dog is happy when you open the trunk. Uh, I mean, it's sort of a the bad thing is most trunks have like a, a pull handle. You can let yourself right back out. So I mean, so my, my question is on this 12, seven Leroy, you, I, you probably remember my truck, the red and white teeth. We were in there. You, uh, on, uh, you gave me a little more than I wanted on the, uh, on the power stroke and the torque. Uh, your voice the sounds old, familiar, the old, but I'm seeing yeah, the old, the old red and white Peterbilt, the 88 model with the 12 seven. Yeah, that doesn't help much, but <laughs> okay. okay. Uh, anyway, well, I, I had, I did an in frame on this and, um, 
I couldn't get a turbo, uh, so I got a turbo from a friend. It's a bigger turbo. And um losing on the lower end of this truck. So I don't know if there's any parameters we can do with this 12.7, maybe to change the torque and horsepower parameters to match the turbo a little better. I mean, What's I'm pedaling it down the road. It's it, it, you know, I'm, I'm getting by with it, and I'm kind of working local lately. So, all right. So, what are the numbers? What's the A over R ratio of your turbine housing? I don't know, Bruce, and I I should know this, but I don't. I know it's a really big housing, way bigger than what I had uh, on here. I didn't have a stock turbo, 12.7 turbo. When I called up while I was doing the in-frame, um, you guys were out of the turbo that you used. So I hmm. you know, wanted to get back to work. I don't know the millimeters on the turbo either, but it's, it's, I think the, the, the intake housing is like five and a half inches instead of five. That helps. Yeah, not really. Um, okay. Why don't you take some pictures and email it to me to Bruce M at PittsburghPower.com. Remember Pittsburgh ends in an H. Yeah, I know. I know. I've, I've been, I know you for a long time. I just, uh, you probably don't, you probably recognize me if you see me, but, um, sure. But, uh, yeah. All right. I'll, I'll do that. Cause I'm just, like I said, I, I like to run around six, And I have to, I have to come out. Of, Wait, we lost you there. You said you like to run around six. Was that sixty mile per hour? Yes, yeah, sixty miles per hour. And okay, what's your I'm RPM thinking, at sixty? Uh, thirteen twenty-five to thirteen fifty is. Uh, I'm three fifty-five on low twenty-four fives with a seventy-four overdrive um, or a seventy-three overdrive. So. Uh, it's a nine. You're about a so, you're about a hundred RPM below where that engine wants to be. I know, I know, but I get my best fuel mileage there. And like I said, I'm I don't once once I need to go anywhere, I have to come out of I have to come out of gear just to get it going. But with the other turbo, I didn't have to. It spooled up a little better on the low side. Um, yeah, we but, probably had we probably have the turbos in stock. Why don't you just put one of our turbos on and? Be all set. Well, I mean, it's it's right now after what I what I went through last year. I need to uh, kind of keep what I got for now. You know what I mean? Okay. Um, mm -hmm. Work. Just so when you finance. when you put that a bigger when you put that a bigger exhaust housing on when you say you put a bigger turbo on, that's really yeah. not something that we can tune out of it because you know the. What drives the turbo and makes the turbo, the shaft spin, is heat and pressure in the manifold. And when you put a bigger one, a bigger exhaust housing on, you'd need both of those things or one of them to um, make more energy to drive the turbine wheel. So that's why it's spooling slower is because you actually have less energy in the manifold to make the wheel turn. So when we talk about what we can do to try to tune that out of it, Basically, the only option we have on a 12.7 is either retarded timing, which isn't going to be a good option, or just adding simply more fuel. And more fuel is going to lead to more black smoke, you know, fuel dilution, so yada, yada, yada. So it's, as far as options that we have, if you want it to spool better, is we can make it spool better with a tune, 
but you're going to get a lot more smoke along with it. And most it. of the time, that's just not what people want. So you're, you're really, unfortunately, your best course of action is just to put a smaller uh, exhaust housing back on it. If you wanted to keep the larger um, intake side, so the turbo that you probably had on it had like a 75 no, millimeter same, wheel. I have the same exhaust side on it. Uh, I have the same, I have the old exhaust side on it. It's the intake that, it's a bigger turbo on the intake side. Oh, okay. All right. Okay. Get us, get us, get Leroy or me the part number of the turbo and let's see what it is. And then okay. maybe we can help you better. Okay. Yeah. We'll, yeah, we'll get some pictures. Get this afternoon when I, uh, when I stop, I'll, uh, I think I'll get, I, I think I know what you have on there. I yeah. think I know what you have on there and uh, it would be fine if, if you had, uh, Low Pro 22.5s or 370 gears, you'd be okay. 355, 355. Right, right. I know. Um, okay. Okay. All right. I'll, I'll touch base with you later. Thank you. Have a good day, everyone. Sounds good. Bye. Let's go to uh, our last call on the board right now. So um, if you want to jump in, now would be the time. We're going to go to Washington. Jerry, welcome. Morning. Hey, I got three questions for you guys. Uh, first one's a gearing question. I've got a truck that was built. I got a Freightliner Cascadia that was built in 20, uh, April 2011. So I got a 2010 engine in it. And uh, I'm going to be changing the rear ends in it. I got a 13-speed auto shift. So I got the Gen 2 clutch in it. It's a centrifugal clutch. And uh, I work in the Pacific Northwest. I'm trying to change the rear end to get a better ratio for fuel economy. Because right now I'm getting 6.74 miles to the gallon. And which and ratio I'm, are you now? I'm 355. I run tall rubber. I pull tanker and two trailers. Uh, my average run during the week is about 150 miles from Portland to Seattle. And then I go back with it. And then three times in two months, I go to Long Beach, California at 80,000 pounds down and 80,000 pounds back. I pulled a bend quite a bit, and I end up going over Mount Hood. And in the wintertime with the skiers, uh, I end up stopping two, three times when it's snowing going up that hill. So my biggest question is, will that automatic centrifugal clutch handle the start and stops of a lower gear ratio? No. Give me your speed. What speed are you traveling? I run in an area, 60 mile an hour area in uh, Washington, Oregon, California. It's 55. I run an average speed of 62, 63 miles an hour. What's your RPM? I'm running just a hair over 1400 right now. DD15? Yes. It's an old DD15 with the old axle blower on it. So the power band on that thing is about 1450. I can't bring it down to 1300. Yeah, that's the way they designed that um, turbo compound back in the day. They wanted yeah. to scavenge the and make horsepower at the upper RPM range. So if you're trying to gather horsepower at the lower end, you're not going to be taking advantage of the turbo compound. It's just the way that it's geared. Um, right. They really don't come alive. Yeah. So you're you're on twenty four five tall rubber? Yeah. No, twenty two five. I run basic super single car, I run the four fifty fives. 
I run tankers, so I got a nine inch riser on the fifth wheel. I got to get up because I pull with company tractors and I got to be able to carry the liquid. So by raising my truck 10 inches, the trailer in the front 10 inches, I can pull like the company tractors do with the day caps. Like so you're at 355 now. Right. And you want to gear this so you run in direct. Yes, I have a yeah, EM313 speed. Yeah. So the the equivalent for the same RPM would be the 264. If you wanted to increase the RPM, it would be a 279. Yeah, I got a character. Uh, oh. Okay, I, I didn't think Meritor made a 355. I thought they made the 342. Uh, I got a 355 Meritor. That's you got. We're going back to 2011, so maybe they did then. Yeah, I have a 355. Okay, Kevin, do you know what the Meritor equivalent would be to the 264? Uh, I thought it was the 273. Is that a Meritor axle? Yeah, I. My question is: Will the because I do a lot of stopping, starting, will the clutch hold it? It's a centrifugal clutch. In other words, when I get to 800 RPM, it engages and then it disengages on its own. That's where my real concern is, and I do a lot of delivery around Portland, so I'm in a lot of start and stop traffic. In other words, like today, I will deliver at Tualatin, Oregon at four o'clock and it's 20 miles home and it's going to take me two hours in traffic to get home. Get home. Oh, stop. So oh, that's where my big concern is, you know, just like on Mount hood, I'm 80,000 pounds. All the liquid is in the back of the trailer and you get the skiers, they do stupid and then you stop and then you get going, you go another quarter mile, you stop. And some days on a Saturday, you could spend an hour going up Mount hood because, you know, just the way there, you know, the traffic is, I'm a skier. I don't do that. <laughs> yeah, but you don't finish a six pack before you get up the hill, do you? <laughs> no, no. Um, all right. I, I, you know, I don't, uh, I don't know if you want to go to run in direct gear. I don't but, know uh, that transmission and what your first gear ratio is. And um, yeah, like. Right now, the auto shift starts in second, but I can reprogram it to get down to first. But that's my big concern because that's what I wanted to do with 264. And I will later on probably go to low profile, uh, you know, the 455s because weight saving, well, they're not so critical of me carrying everything. Okay. So if you can program the transmission to start out in first and now you're starting out in second, you're okay. Go for the 264 equivalent. Oh, okay. I yeah, will you'll that. be all right. Now you got you still have one gear lower to yeah. start on. You'll be all right. Okay, sounds good. Okay, my second two questions. Well, there's three questions. They all got to do with the one box. Number one, I want to become a remote tuner for you guys, and I want to take my DD15 from 425 horse up to 600 horse. Will the one box handle the handle the extra horsepower? Prairie Langer says no, because I got to put a new one box in. We programmed a bunch of uh, DD15s at 600 horsepower, 600 crank, I should say, just for clarification. And I have not heard any issues. Um, the only time I have seen the one box not handle it 
is as we start to push like seven, seven fifty. And if you have, it's not directly the airflow that's causing them issues. It's if you ever have an issue with the DPF, um, where you have a buildup on your DOC or something, the extra added heat may cause the DPF to, to fully light. But I mean, that's just if you have a issue with your DOC in general, but out of all, all the right. ones I've programmed, I've never had any issues with the one box at 600. Okay. Always be careful. I've never talked to a truck dealer about adding horsepower because they'll always come up with the negatives. They'll always come up with, well, you need bigger injectors. You need this, you need that. We've been fighting that for 46 years. Uh, you know, back great. to the days of the big cam, you know, on a big cam, the crankshaft, the camshaft, the connecting rods were all the same. The difference was the injector cup, the CCs, the injector put out, the fuel pressure, the turbocharger, and the compression ratio and the timing of the piston. And so why can't you take a 290 and make a 500 out of it? Well, if you went to a Cummins deal, heavens no, you can't do that. We did it all the time. Hey, we did the 285 Mac Maxidines. We used to pump those up to 500 that the exhaust system used to glow in the dark, so, and they worked. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, two other things I wanted to say. I got one of the guys, I mentor a whole bunch of guys, and, and uh, I got one of the guys came back, and he got a code, too many regens on the system, and it threw him a code and told him it was going to derate him, and it blew my mind when I pulled my Detroit software out, and it says that it has to be uh, a regen done with Detroit software. Have you ever heard of that before? I'm going to see running the Mac Knowledge Catalyst. Yeah, yeah, we doing that. I got all the guys converted over to that. Okay. But when I did that with Chris, yeah. I came back and, and it, you know, that's all I did. I did a regen on that. Now, the other question I've got, this one is the one that blew my mind. I've got 882,000 on this one box. Never changed the filters. Been running your Catalyst. Every problem I've had has been a wiring issue when the dealer touched it. But when I pull a tube trailer to Long Beach, California, I go on the southbound lane, I pull the grapevine, I have no problem. When I'm going north, when I come from the Catholic scale, you're pulling all the way to the top. I get to the rest area just before you go down, and I get derated. It derates me 25%. When I pull that up on the laptop, it says, the reason I was derated was I exceeded 650 degrees for 30 minutes. And that's the, the repair for that is a regen. So I do a regen. Explain that to me. Well, do you know what the code is exactly? Uh, I don't have it on here right now, but I, I had the code. Yeah. It, you know, and that was the exact code. And when I pulled it up on my laptop, that's exactly what, uh, uh, uh it was telling me I could probably get back to you on that. Yeah, I can give you a better explanation once I know what the, the exact code is, but I, I haven't heard of anything like 650 degrees for 30 minutes, not saying that it doesn't exist. I just haven't personally yeah. heard of it. Yeah. Um, I would like to look into it. So if you get me the code number, I'll look into yeah. it. Maybe we'll talk about it next week in the show. So my yeah, question no, is, what, what is 650 degrees? Is it the intake air? It just says in the one box. It said in it. I can. A uh, good thing about Detroit software, I can go back. Everything you do on it is recorded, so you can go back in the history, and I can actually take a look at the record of what it, you know what I did when I did the regen, and you can go back into the service side of it and see 
what codes were cleared and why. So I can pick all that up. When, uh, what I would try on the grapevine is uh -huh. um, I would run that hill the next trip one gear lower. Right. It'll be way out of the throttle, and let's see if that still comes up. Yeah, what I was going to do was uh, I was going to pull the main hill going northbound as normal. I pull it at 27 miles an hour. Uh, I'm right at 80,000, that's 79, 880 or something like that with these two drivers. And once I got to the top, I was going to back out of it and let her be cool, you know, let her cool down. But the other thing I was going to do is, hang on a minute, mate. Uh, I was going to um, hook up my laptop and look at the temperature out of my SDR and the depth as I'm going up the hill. Does that make any right. sense? Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. No. Because yeah, I've had no. Well, like I said, I've had no problem with the one box. Uh, I just had Chris go through his one box, and I did a regen on his one box, and the back pressure was you know, 0.7 uh, uh, pounds, and uh, uh, yeah, in was, no, in was 0.5 and out was 0.7, and he did a full uh, um, cleaning, and his pressure didn't clean up that much. So, hmm. yeah, I mean, if it didn't clean up that much, it either wasn't that dirty or he didn't get everything out of it. Yeah, he took the filters in, had them clean, uh, put new bands in. Did they check if did they just blow them out, or did they wash them? Or no, he, he took them to one of your companies uh, up in in Sumner, Washington, and uh, okay, they, they cleaned them all up. But that's what when I did a regen earlier, and I, what I normally do is I tell everybody not to bother with the filters unless you have some back pressure, mm -hmm. and. When you guys don't have back pressure, I tell them not to worry about it. If you're running the catalyst 99% of the time, like I said, I got 882,000 on the original uh, filter. My one box has never been apart. Mm, right. I know. I, I'm pushing yeah. my block. I know. <laughs> yeah, you'll, you'll have to send me the, uh, the fault code that you, you're getting, and I'll talk about it next week, or I'll email you back, or whatnot. That yeah, is like the, uh, the too many weekends. It's, there's, I mean, there's a bunch of things that can cause that, but typically it's because the, the system can't come up with temp. Um, yeah, usually, well, what? Because they're, like, driving in the city, and once it starts to do a region, they get out of it, or the system can't build heat, or the doser's not working. It, that's usually what it is. Yeah. He was stuck in Vegas, and you had to put a new uh, death injector on, and then to get it up and running, I think... They had to regen it three or four times, and then, you know, he came back, and all of a sudden, he had that code, and it wouldn't go away. So, yeah, I don't know. Like I said, it was just odd when it said, yeah, you got to use, uh, you know, Detroit software to get rid of the code. Yeah, I don't think that's, that's, a, that's that weird. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But other than that, I appreciate you guys. Um I've learned a lot from you, and uh, one thing with Kevin, I want to thank him very much because he helped me explain to a lot of guys why we don't fuel in Oregon most of the time. 
Isn't it crazy that that's been that way for absolute decades and people still don't understand it? Oh, yeah. We don't pay uh, fuel in Oregon. Uh, we don't pay road tax at the pump in Oregon. Fuel tax. And normally, the, right. we don't, yeah, we don't, yeah, we don't pay the fuel tax in Oregon. And normally, the difference between fuel in Oregon and Washington is about a nickel cheaper in Oregon. And Washington has, has I think, 47.9 right. cents yeah. per gallon tax. It, it's in not it. even. So, so, yeah. But people don't understand that. Bruce, part of the problem is we have uh, technically 50 states to drive a truck in. Um, only one of them doesn't have a fuel tax. It's Oregon. Every other state uses a fuel tax. Some states use a fuel tax and a road tax. New York, uh, New Mexico, maybe there are a couple. Um, but Oregon is the only one that only uses a mileage tax. And because of the way we buy fuel and report our tax, it confuses everybody and they, they don't understand where and how to buy their fuel and they don't realize how much money they're wasting. I created a whole course on it. There, there's a course in Let's Truck University about fuel tax and buying fuel and the, the difference between buying fuel correctly, knowing which state to buy it in when and not is about two to three thousand dollars a year. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. No, the fellow my- that's on the phone, that I got to tell you, you're a saint. If you can sit in traffic for two hours and only go 25 miles, I don't know. Uh, you, you shouldn't. Good thing you can't listen to my language some days, okay? <laughs> uh, you want to, in the summertime when you're in traffic and it's backed up, yeah, you see that what people do in traffic, it will blow your mind. Why people live, I don't. I, I was in rush hour traffic in my Kenworth in Hartford, Connecticut. And before I could get the clutch pushed in and get it in gear to move up my 50 feet, cars from the right or left would fill my spot. And so many times I wanted to put a big wooden bumper on the front with spring <laughs> behind it and just push them out of the way. Yeah, and, that, and I, I'll never do that to a semi truck because that's their spot. That's not your spot. Yeah. Stay in your own lane and just go with it. These, these people that jump lane to lane drive me insane. Yeah, we had a bad accident on, a, on the Fremont Bridge in Portland about six years ago. A, a car carrier had about six cars lengths in front of him, open traffic, and he went to apply his brakes and five cars pulled in and he drove over the last two. Yeah, and and they're going back and they're saying, "Well, this policy should have anticipated it." And I'm sitting there thinking, "Wow, yeah. they do not know what they're talking about." You know, um, yeah. I run hazmat. My brakes are tight and they're obviously adjusted. You know, you just keep on top of it. There we go. All right, hey, we're going to have to move on. Calls are starting to pile up. Um, we've got time left. We'll, we've got another hour of the show. If you want to keep calling in. Um, I'm going to throw something out just we don't have to spend a lot of time on it now. If you want to call and comment, you can. I may pick this topic up again on Thursday. I'm not sure. Um, This kind of stuff really bothers me. I'm about to get into probably what's going to turn out to be a knockdown drag out fight on Twitter. I I just want to read this. This this kind of makes me crazy. This is in a trucking group on Twitter. 
It says, the city dwellers love buying their high-dollar, organically grown, sustainable produce, but were annoyed by the beautiful sound of a four-mile-per-gallon 3406 cat that delivered it. I made damn sure they heard me coming down their block at 7 a.m. What a dick. God, that pisses me off. I understand that we deliver stuff and we're going to annoy people just by what we do. They're annoyed because they can't get around us on the roads. They're annoyed when two trucks are drag racing. I I get all that. Most of that is necessary, not necessarily the drag racing, but a lot of what we do that annoys people, we can't help. But we damn sure shouldn't be shoving it in their face. And then 27 comments on this post, every one of them supported this. Yeah, let them have it. Hit the Jake brakes. What is wrong with these people? Why do we want to piss off our customers? If people, I, I just don't get this mentality. What is with this? Yeah, I know. So many, uh, no Jake breaks or no exhaust retarders or Jake brake mufflers or exhaust mufflers requested. Like I said, I get it. We're going to annoy people just because we're there. We don't need to try to annoy them. Right. No, we have to be courteous. Oh. That just and I can't. I I thought for sure when I saw twenty seven comments, somebody may have may have pushed back a little bit on this. Not one person. Everybody supported it. So I'm going to blast them. Anybody wants to come over okay. to Twitter and help me out with this one? That'd be fine too. I we just have to stop doing this. We already have a bad enough reputation with the public. We don't need to to do to behave like this just kind of ridiculous all right rant over i'm going to go back to the calls we may talk about that more on thursday if you want let's go to illinois john welcome to the program hey kevin thanks for taking my call uh before i get to my question uh i've got a comment that my outback guy with the slow cooling turbo on the 12 7 uh i'm guessing maybe he's got a 702 non-wastegate and if he does, that's what I've got. And I put the blanket and wrapped about four foot of my exhaust with uh, insulation. And it really helped mine spool faster. Uh, before I'd done that, I really didn't have no power boost coming on until about 1400. But after that, I, I can, I get boosted at 1250 now and in plenty of power and brought the exhaust temperature down too. So might be a, a cheaper fix for for him, but yeah, that's something to for sure. Yeah, I mean that's that's what I done with mine because it just man, it it really didn't have much power until you know. Of course, once you hit that fourteen hundred, it didn't really come on. But but anyway, uh, I've always ran uh, full synthetic in in. But there's been three times I've got a 127, and there's been three times I've had to do the head gasket and like a cam and stuff like that. And the shop just put mineral oil in it and, you know, just ran it for a few thousand miles and then uh, drain it. But when I started with mineral oil in it and it's 30 degrees out, it sounds like the Jakes are running. It, 
it draws a lot of attention in in the truck stop when you fire it up. Uh, but it, it starts and goes right straight to 900 RPMs. Is is that why? Um, yeah, I'm a little bit unsure on that one. I'm not sure. Well, the first time I'd done it, it scared the hell out of me because, you know, I've always ran full synthetic in it. And then and I started, man, and I videoed it and showed it to a, a few mechanics and stuff. And they really didn't have an idea. It, it's almost like, it, should it start and actually go to 900 RPM though when it's that cold? Yes. Wait, you said it's a, a 60 series, right? Yeah, it's 127. Yeah, so it's going to go to 900 based off of oil temp. Um, so anytime that you your oil temp is at a certain threshold, it starts at 900 and then it'll slowly work, make its way back down to idle, whether that's 600 or 700. It depends on how it's set up. But yeah, when it's right. cold, um, they go to 900. Okay, well, I'd, I thought maybe that's why it was doing it. But as soon as I drain that and put full synthetic in it, I can start it outside when it's a zero and it it'll won't make a noise at all. And it doesn't go to 900? Yeah, it goes straight up to 900 just like normal. Oh, okay. But no noise. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. An interesting observation. And, I mean, I've had you guys run the overhead. I've had, you know, it, it's, it's never changed. Every time I've had to put, or, you know, I just went ahead and had to stop put regular mineral oil in it. It's, it's done it. It's, you know. All I got to do is change oil. It instantly goes away whenever I put wow. full synthetic in it. Wow. That's a good plug for full synthetic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because it, it sounds pretty crazy because it's straight pipes and, and it's extremely loud that it's sitting there idling. And it'll do it for about 30 seconds. Is it a BK, MK, or PK? It's a BK. BK? Interesting. Yep. Okay. I thought maybe something that had something to do with the oil being thick and running at 5 RPM when it's cold, making, I don't know, making the shake come on is what it sounds like. Hmm. Wow. I always say you don't... Uh, the first five or ten seconds, you don't pay a lot of attention to smoke and sound because the pistols do have to get enough temperature to burn fuel. Right. It, it don't smoke a bit whenever I start. Even when it's cold, it, it just really don't ever smoke or anything. And yeah. So, yeah, okay, well, I thought maybe maybe you guys would, would know what was going on, know if I needed to you know, go into the ECM, set it to start at a lower RPM or something, but it, it really doesn't affect it. You know, I'm about ready. I just had that gasket done, so I'm about ready to change the oil on it anyway because I've got five, 6,000 miles on it. I want to get that oil out of it anyway. Yeah. If you had a Volvo R car, then you'd start it went to 1,800. Belts would full steel. It was terrible. I went to Volkswagen said, please turn this uh, cold idle down. And they said, oh, no, we can't touch that. And I said, oh, yes, you can. I have other cars that goes to 14 and 1,500. But this one at 1,800, it squeals and carries on. And they wouldn't even talk to me about it. Uh, well, 
Well, uh, just to comment on Kevin's Twitter feed there earlier, uh, I remember doing that shit whenever I was like, you know, 17, 18 years old running through towns and throwing the jakes on and raising hell, but I, I guess I'd grown up. Uh, uh, yeah, that's kind of my yeah. point. That, that is really childish behavior to say, I made damn sure they knew I was coming. And then everybody was supporting it. That, that, I, I, I'm actually kind of speechless. We still have people that, that think that that's a good thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. All right, well, I'll get off here and let somebody else get in. I appreciate it. All right, thanks for the call. Let's go yep. to Alabama this time. Bert, welcome to the program. Good morning, gentlemen, or afternoon, depending on where you are. Thanks for taking my call. I don't know if you remember or not, but I called you guys a couple of weeks ago. I got an X-15 Cummins and a uh, 2019 Kenworth. And my problem was when I started up in the morning, I'd let it idle. And when I go to leave, it didn't want to go. It had no throttle response. It was running like it was on two cylinders. I could just barely keep it going. But if I shut it off, waited, started up again, it ran fine. Do you remember that call? I do. Yes. Well, what it turned out to be is about a week later, the uh, engine lights came on, codes came on, derated, and it was the uh, VGT actuator. We changed the VT, VGT. Uh, sorry? I said, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, so we changed the VGT actuator, and I haven't had a problem since. So, yeah, now that, now they, that it makes sense, because we've had they, a couple here that if they go bad and they get stuck at like 97% and they can't go you know, down to something more reasonable, like 85 or so, it just makes so much back pressure that the engine doesn't want to run. It's like basically joking. But it, was, off. but it was strange that once you shut it off, waited a couple of minutes, started back up again, everything was fine. Could that be because now the actuator's starting to work? No, every time you uh, key off and key back on, it goes through a, like an auto zero and a cleaning procedure. So if you turn your key off, sometimes you'll notice that you'll hear the actuator go choo, 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 like it's working back and forth. So if right. it was stuck in a position, you keyed off and you key back on, you're basically forcing the motor like uh, move the actuator back and forth and possibly break it free. Oh, I get it. Okay, I get it. Yeah. Anyway, I want to get her Gotcha. But I just thought I'd uh, let you guys know we solved the problem. That's what it turned out to be. Hey, Bert, I want to thank you for calling back and updating us. You know, we say that a lot at the end of a call when we're, you know, got one of those mysteries. We're not really sure. I always say, hey, you know, if you figure this out, call us back. Um, There's a reason for that. That helps all of us. You know, that going back to that whole troubleshooting thing, the more information we can gather about what causes what, the better everybody can do their job, the more informed we are. So thank you for calling back and updating us. Anytime. Thank you guys for what you do. It definitely helps the rest of us out for sure. All right. Fantastic. Good stuff. Let's yeah. go to uh, Nevada. Ray, welcome to the program. Yeah, I have a question since you got the experts on about Cummins. We're buying a new truck, 
And not that we want to buy a new truck right now, but the one I was in got in a head-on and totaled the truck, so we need one right away. Um, the best one that we kind of can find uh, in our area or anywhere that is the uh, Inverse with the new X15 efficiency series with uh, 279 rears. Uh, what are your thoughts on these uh, that setup with rears? It's not perfect, but for a Cummins, is that a good one? Well, I think what they're doing is running it now in single over instead of double over running the 279. So they're starting to get the idea of what we've been talking about for years. And I don't like the efficiency series, but Leroy can change that for you. Leroy, do you do you have a thought on the efficiency series? Am I thinking wrong? I mean, I kind of like them. I'm interested in why you don't like them. I like them. Now, over the past, over the years, anything that said efficiency always turned out to be a dog, and then you had to push it harder, and so then you lost your efficiency because your foot was always into the throttle, and I always liked the performance mode where you breathe on the throttle and the truck's going down the highway. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, never got drive. I never got to drive a new one with the efficiency series, so. The uh, the efficiency series is different from the performance one, and a lot of the same ways that some of the older um, mechanicals were. Is just the it's mostly a piston change, and they have like a point, maybe a point and a half more compression. Um, which I always, I mean, I'm a big fan of compression. I always like engines with more compression. Um, they just seem to just respond better. I think they get better torque. Uh, I think they generally get better mileage. But I think. I like that engine. I would probably wouldn't push it very hard. I wouldn't push it to like 650 or so. I'd probably put like the the peak called a little bit ago. Um, I'd probably set it like a 500, 550. Um, and it, did you say it has the endurance transmission or is it a manual transmission? It has the 12-speed endurance, so it's, and it's a 500 with 1850 torque with the 79 rear. So 11th in the tranny would be one-to-one uh, -one or rack, and then 12th gear is 0.77. Yeah, no, I, I like that setup. Um, I think we have one here with a similar setup. Um, I don't know if Aaron's listening or not. He's a popular customer. He's here a lot. Um, I think I saw on his dash he's getting eight something on average. Um, I've dined at a few of them. I hear nice things about them. I think they get they get decent fuel mileage, um, well into the I'd say on average into the sevens or low eights. Um, obviously, I like the ISX engine. I wouldn't lug it too much, but. I think that setup with the endurance, the two seventy nines and five hundred horsepower, is a uh, is a good setup. Me personally. And I'm logging it with another question. So the efficient series, the peak torque is at a thousand. I've heard Bruce, and I could be wrong, but it seems like uh, keep it about two hundred. So if it's a peak torque at a thousand, keep it at about twelve hundred. You dare go lower than that on that coming? So Cummins says their rule of thumb for pretty much every engine I ever look up is don't stay at peak torque at full load for more than 30 seconds. So if it's at a thousand, 
don't stay there at full throttle at 1,000 RPM for more than 30 seconds. I wouldn't be afraid at, like, if you have a load gauge uh, running at uh, maybe, like, 11 or 12 at, like, 70% or lower on um, uh-huh. on your, like, engine load. So if you're, like, 70%, I would probably keep it at more like 12. If you're, like, 60 or below, I mean, these are just numbers off the top of my head, I would probably, I would feel okay keeping it at 1,100 or 1,000 RPM. Okay. Now, um, I did, so Catalyst, I got a quick story about I was going to start running it with that truck day one, but the truck I was in was a 2022 and I was running the Catalyst because it had the wonderful MX with the injector problems. And so it was running good. And then, of course, it got, went bye-bye. So I'm in a 389 fair truck right now and i started running catalyst uh five thousand miles ago and i i noticed uh a, a smoother idle and i noticed the regen when it usually regens at five thousand miles yesterday it regens for like five minutes instead of like two hours running yeah. the catalyst not you know that's the only thing so far on this one that i've had this truck Till the new one starts running, but I, I do notice that, and I'm pretty picky on what the engine sounds like. My understanding is when you run it from day one, your regens are two to three minutes. Yeah, and I'm going to run it from day one on that. My boss is good at letting me kind of spec out and kind of run on my own, do my own, and so. Okay. He has no problem letting me do that. And uh, so is there any other, so this one has the uh, extended uh, fairing that the Kenworth has come out. So, you know, the trailer can be closer. Uh, Anything else that you guys can do besides Mac mileage and maybe a tune on it that can improve that fuel mileage? I I don't get in a hurry unless I have to once in a while. Yeah, I mean, I think the the tune is going to be the biggest increase um, in fuel mileage for that engine. Um, as far as other things that we can do, I mean, the biggest thing I could do is probably put a speed limit on it, but we're not going to go there. So, <laughs> what about an intake or exhaust manifold? Do we do we have manifolds for the brand new ones? They're going. Um, I believe they do fit on the next 15. I'd have to double check with Eric. I don't know that off the top of my head. Now, this could be a lie, but I read it last night or something from Kenworth or Cummins. The new EPA uh, 21 Cummins, they said they can't change the the horsepower anymore. If you get a four seven a four seventy five or you get a five hundred, that's what you're stuck with. And I don't know, that's something they said was on the new EPA ones of twenty twenty one. Yeah, I read some documentation from Cummins that said I mean one, they can change it, but two, they have to go through a p- bunch of paperwork where they have to fill out an application to send back to Cummins uh, about your situation, about your truck. And they have to get permission whether they're allowed to turn your truck up or not. I mean, I briefly read over that documentation, but it's not that they're not allowed. It's just the dealership probably doesn't want to go through the hassle of all that. 
to give you like another 25 horsepower. You know what I mean? Exactly. Now, one last question. Is there anything to have it set at the dealer before we take it to turn on or off the, you know, on the computer that will help it? I mean, so there's going to be a lot of smart features. I use smart in air quotes. I know you can't see it, but uh, there's going to be a lot of smart features that you're going to have to have them explain to you how it works and what they're turning on and what they're sending it to because the engine and the transmission want to work hand in hand to get you the best fuel mileage. And it doesn't really Mm -hmm. care about drivability or what you think of how it drives or anything like that. So it may do some things you're not used to or things you don't expect unless you understand what parameters they enabled and what they set it to. So um, things like Smart Coast or um, drawing a blank on what some of the other ones were, but um, I'm not sure what to set them to right off the top of my head because I don't set too many of them up. But uh, I would probably, when they get it set up at the dealer, get a printout of the features and parameters. And if they can't explain it to you what they set everything to, Send that over to me. Give me a call, and we'll go through it one by one about what each of the features mean, what they enabled, and things like that, so you can just have a, a predictable driving experience. Um, I'm not going to tell you what to, to set them to specifically because I can't think of all of them off the top of my head. But. Yeah, and I fuel mileage is my thing, so I'm not that stuff doesn't bother me. But some things they like set restrict make it make it worse. Yeah, like, you know, there's things like um, RPM limits per, you know, per gear. Uh, they'll give you certain amount of torque in this RPM, whether it wants you to downshift or, you know, not that you can personally do that. But um, there's just a lot of things that drivers have to be aware of when they drive an automated transmission. It's not only just for Cummins. I mean, it's Volvo, Mac, Detroit. I mean, they are programmed to do their thing. And you just have to be aware of how they work. Maybe maybe we should do a show about that, some of the features and, and what they mean. But uh, that's a good that idea. might be good come upcoming. Yeah. I, would like I, read, that, so. I, I saw on truck paper, because I was doing some research for a different thing I'm working on, and over 81% of all Cascadias sold on truck paper are automatic transmissions. Over 85% of all Volvo and Max, VNLs and Anthems are automatic transmissions. And I think it was Kenworth and Pete I saw on truck paper of all the ones I looked up. It was like 51% are automatic transmissions. And I mean, it's going to continue to go that way. So there's, we're, this is another thing we're going to have to learn how, what to get used to and how to set the parameters up. I know Joel talks a lot about um, setting up the I-shift and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, it's just another set of terminology we're going to have to get used to learning. Yeah, Joe said, I think, on the Friday show that they only sell 2% of manual transmissions from Volvo now. It makes sense, yeah. And uh, I actually come, this one's an 18-speed, but the one I was in uh, had, uh, it was the pack car 12-speed, and I didn't mind most of it. It just, I'd take it in and it'd come back with a different setting on the tranny all the time where it would shift. And so I want to find out, you know, am I better, am I better at direct drive at uh, between 55 and 59 or am I better at 
to run 61 in uh, overdrive. It's, uh, I mean, if, if we're only talking a few miles per hour, I would probably just stay in direct drive at 58 or 59. I don't think there's a point in going into overdrive to get 61 or 62, but I mean, Either way is going to be a painful experience, but you're going to get good fuel mileage. So as long as you can be that guy, yeah, I, I would just say. I, I run from Vegas to LA uh, half my well, I run from Utah to LA, but so half my trip is in California. So 55 doesn't bother me at all. Yeah, I'm sure Kevin can jump in on on that whole idea of driving 58 versus 70. So. <laughs> Or 65. Yes, yeah. but well, I'll take anything. You know, I'd, I'd be happy to go 55, but if 61 because it lowers the RPMs, it helps. I'd go 61. You know, we we talk about this a lot, and things are changing right now. I was just um, looking at an article. We still had a lot of people get new authority in February. Like over 6,000 new authorities still in February. It's like they don't understand what's happened and they're still getting in because they're still thinking about the high rates from last year. It's like they're, they're not paying attention at all. And the same thing with speed. You know, last year we were talking about going faster far more than we were talking about going slower. And the reason was freight rates were through the roof and, and fuel was, you, you got a fuel surcharge to cover that. So, there are times when it makes sense to drive faster. Managing it, though, understanding why you're driving faster so you don't just do it across the board. And they're still doing it, even though rates have tanked and fuel is on its way back up again. Now is the time we should yeah, really well, be talking about things like 55, 57, under 60 miles an hour makes a lot of sense today. I, I can go from Vegas to L.A. and I don't pass one person. Exactly. You know, I might right. get a lot of people mad, but I find I find it more relaxing. I had to get in, uh, so in Utah in the Wasatch Front, the speed limit 70, but our some of them are turned up. Some are set at 70 and that. I found it more relaxing to just be on the speed limit because it doesn't give you the urge to get out there and pass it, 75. Exactly. Just, and then you get out to pass and the car truck you just tried to pass speeds up just enough that you've got to go even faster than you want to to get around them. And then, you know, when I do finally get around them, I'm going to slow down. I didn't want to go this fast to begin with. That that never happens if you don't pass people. I, I think I'm going to come up with a sign I put on the back of my trailer. I think it's going to have Kevin Rutherford approved. And or, I'm just going to post them on. Or maybe it should be more practical. Maybe it should just say, this is fast as I go, go around me. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think that's a lot better. Yeah. Well, Every time I'm at 58. You're welcome. Then I'm at 58. I say I'm at the Kevin Rutherford speed. I'm there not there go. very often, though. There you go. All right. I, I live are, at like 60. We are That's going to perfect. move along. We're going to uh, grab the last call on the board right now. We're going to go to Idaho. Brant, welcome to the program. Hey, how you doing? 
Good. I, uh, I got a oil on that oil analysis there that I, I sent in and I, I, I'm not sweating it too much. You should be. Uh, because in June, I'm going to do a, re- uh, in June, I'm going to do a rebuild. Okay. But I'm, I'm confused about the oxidation and I, I don't, it, it was brand, I mean, the oil only has 15,000 on it and I don't know why the oxidation is so high. Okay. I can help you with that. Um, I'm glad you're doing an in-frame and um, I'm going to go back. Oh, out of frame. Oh, out of frame. Okay, even better. Um, is this the first time you've called on an oil sample for this truck? On, yeah, on an oil sample, yeah. Uh, why didn't you call me back in May of 2022? I was chasing that silicon issue for, I've been chasing that issue for like two years. And I have caulked all my tubing. I have. I run fleet air filters. I pulled them out and cleaned them. I re-oiled them, and I just chase it, and I cannot find it. Um, if you may have found it now, at least it's coming down. Let me check something real quick. Well, maybe it's not. You're actually consistent based on the number of miles each time. So the problem is still there, uh, Bruce. Did, when if I go back to May of of twenty two, the silicon reading was thirty nine. Oh my God, where, where, what kind of truck is it? So Western Star forty nine hundred. That has dual external air filters. Yes. Yeah. What What are you hauling? Are you in a lot of dive? Um, not too terribly much. No, I'm I'm on highway ninety five percent of the time. Occasionally, I have farm deliveries. Yeah, Occasionally, I go into industrial plants that have a lot of dust, and I live on a dirt road, but I don't, I don't go home a whole lot. There, there's no reason. It's this isn't environment. You're not in a very. If you were spending sixty percent of your miles off road, maybe that might be an issue. That's clearly not it here. Um, we've just got a breach in this system somewhere. It went from thirty nine to thirty one, but the miles on that sample went, were cut in half. So, and then the last one, the miles were cut in half again, and it's 16, so it's a little better. Um, But that's what created all the wear metals. So when you look at lead and iron and chromium, that was coming from the dirt. Um, You're right. If you're doing an in-frame in June, we don't need to talk about it anymore. Um, They're going to take care of the cylinder kits are not a frame. Um, the whole system is going to get taken apart. We just make sure it gets put back together, right? Maybe we'll find the the problem during that process. So I'll I'll answer your other question. Oxidation can be caused by two things: um, just prolonged exposure to oxygen. That's what oxidation is. And that's not the case here. You said the oil's fairly fresh. So the other thing that speeds up oxidation is heat. So when oil is exposed to oxygen, it will oxidize at a certain rate. The hotter the oil gets, the faster it's going to oxidize. So when we find an engine with fresh oil, you know, it's not a truck that's been sitting for three years and it's got high oxidation, it's because we have a heating issue somewhere. It may be very, very local. Like you may say, oh, my truck has never overheated. And that may be true, the whole system but you've got a hot spot in this engine somewhere that's causing this oxidation. Hmm. 
um, I mean, it was the winter months, and, and I, I, I pull heavy. I'm, I'm 112,000 through the Rockies. Um, That's so probably why. In the summertime, I watch my. In the summertime, I watch my oil temp more than I do in the wintertime. Because in the wintertime, it, it's usually not an issue. But so, we're, so is there one? Is there a type of oil that I can get that's more oxidation resistant, or is it just going to be an oil change every fifteen thousand? Well, maybe neither one. It's possible that there are oils that are that will handle oxidation better. I'm not aware of what they are because this isn't a big problem. You know, we know for sure that Rotella has more zinc than most oils, and that's a good thing. It's one of the reasons we like Rotella. There are additives that are there for oxidation. It's not an issue I've ever really, you know, done a deep dive into because we don't have to deal with it all that often. A lot of times I've seen engines that oxidize the oil every time we change the oil and it there's no other problem. Okay, the oil's oxidized, but it's not causing any problems. We're not getting wear metals. We're not, the oil itself is still doing its job. And I've told people, look, just ignore the oxidation. It's not hurting anything right now. It's a clue. We might want to go look for hot spots somewhere, but, but you don't have to change the oil, even though oxidation gets all the way to a level four. I've left it in my engine. It doesn't seem to hurt anything. Okay. So I use oxidation more okay. as a, a hint that we need to go look for overheating, but I don't get too concerned about the oxidation itself. Okay, because I, I had been running synthetic, and then my oil consumption went to a gallon every 5,500 miles. So I'm like, well, let me switch back to dinosaur oil. So I went back to dinosaur oil and... So the consumption went down a little bit, but then it, it spiked for some reason. I went through a gallon in 3,000 miles, and then it stabilized again. Now I'm back to a gallon every 5,500, 6,000 miles. So here's why this is an important issue. One, to sample so we know what's happening. Two, then to take care of what's going wrong in the sample. You're about to do an out of frame at 700 and some thousand miles. On a Series 60, that's half that engine's life. We wiped out half, a, we wiped out about yeah. 700,000 worth of usable engine life from that dirt. So this is, is this a 12.7 engine? Yeah, it's a 12.7 D-Deck 4. D-Deck 4. Do you have a manifold and turbo on it? I do, and I have a question about the turbo. I also run your power box. Okay. And the 112,000, how many axles? Seven. Seven axles across. Are you on I-70? No. I, I, can't, run, I can't run I-70 in Colorado on, on over 80,000. Uh, mm -hmm. I get down to Utah. They have a big, big fee on a permit. <laughs> I run, I run uh, North Dakota, Wyoming, Montana, and Idaho. Okay. Wow. Okay. Uh, you two continue. I'm listening. Okay. My, my turbo question is, 
I, I missed the, the beginning part of today's show, so you may have answered. I apologize if that's the case. Um, but I, I run anywhere from 2,200 feet in elevation to 7,200 feet in elevation. And I've heard you talk about a 145 or a 147 housing. And I don't know if that would benefit me, uh, if it would help move more air. How many pound of boost are you making on these pools? Uh, on power level three, I'm about 42. What's your exhaust temperature? Uh, right at 13, maybe 1280, 13, right there. So you're in the manifold. Your thermocouple's in the manifold. Yeah, I have one in the, and I never look at that gauge. Uh, now that I have one in the manifold, I never look at the aft turbo gauge. Yeah. Interesting. Well, in your situation, all we can do is try it. Okay. I have three of your turbos. I just rotate them. I rebuild them, rotate them, ro rebuild them, rotate them. I usually go about 500,000 and rebuild one, and I, I put my spare on, and then I rebuild the other one. So let's try that. So you know how, you know how to change a turbine housing. Let's try the 145 housing and see how you like it. Okay. Leroy, check, okay. see if we have a slightly used one. And yeah. let's get it off to him. I've, I've got to, when I okay. do this out of frame, I've got to call and get a, i got to get a damper from you. I'm going to do a turbo wrap. And there was something else I was wanting from you. I forget now what it is, but it'll come to me. I'll, I'll just give you my credit card and have you send me stuff. Okay. Where's home? Wyoming. Northern Wyoming. So you buck wind, you pull wind. Yeah. Turn a lot of axles. You, you certainly are working at twelve seven. Yeah, this I, 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 you know, I pulled a reefer for a decade and a half, maybe two decades, and and uh, I just got tired of the rude shippers and receivers. Oh. So I'm doing uh, hopper bottoms now, and my stress level uh, has gone from an 88 to about a 16. So I agree. I, I wouldn't pull a light. Yeah, I I'm done with I don't believe. I don't believe in lumpers. I don't believe you should have to pay people to unload their freight. I, and, and spoilage and shortages and all the other BS associated with it. Anyway, um, well, it sounds like you could use a QSK with what you're doing. But we started, we talked about those two and a half hours ago. Um, okay, I'll listen to the beginning of the show later tonight. But I, I just, I got done unloading and I jumped in the truck and I'm like, oh, they're still on the air. Let me give them a call. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna have to get a headset if we keep up these three-hour shows because. Holding a handset up here, <laughs> here gets tiring. You know, Bruce, the three-hour show is becoming a norm almost every day now. Is that right? Yeah, it really is. It, uh, wow, I'm gonna, have, I'm gonna have to pack a lunch and have it on my desk. At, at, at some point when we finish our broadcast app and get a couple other things in place, we are going to be redoing our schedule. Not all three hours are going to be free at some point, probably the first hour every day. 
and I may move some shows around. I'm not sure yet, but uh, hopefully that happens soon. The programmers were supposed to have me something to start testing at the end of uh, March, and we're almost at the end of April now. So hopefully I get something here soon. Um, trying to manage all these moving parts the way we do this right now is a struggle. And then when you have a day where the Internet's acting up, so... Hopefully soon. Um, we're going to grab another call here. We'll go to Maryland. Wait, wait, Welcome to the program. Oh. Oh, go ahead, Bruce. Hi, right, guys. I, I want to know what gears he had in that 12.7. You're not from Wyoming, but... Go ahead, Jeff. I got a question on a vibrate. I got a question on a vibration. It's not all the time. More pronounced whenever, like if I'm on a pool and I downshift. Now, if I come into a, like a little small pool where I know I'm going to have to split a half a gear, if I do it before I get on the throttle, it won't do it all the way up the hill. As soon as I get on the hill and get on a pool, if I downshift, I get like a shutter throughout the whole truck. What, what engine, what year? Uh, MX-13 of 2013. Have you changed the torsional damper on it? Yes. Okay. I've had the drive line going through. Uh, today, on the drive shaft, did they straighten and balance it and replace all the parts? Yes. Okay. Are you running the maximum catalyst? Yes. So well, one more time, would run it by me one more time. What it does? You said you you split a gear and then it and then it does it. Yeah, if I even if I got, pull up the hill hard, it won't do it. But as soon as I downshift, that's when it does it. That's when I get the like the shutter in. And can you pull through it, uh, like RPM wise, or is it more of like it's not a speed related thing? It seems like it's a an engine related thing. Seems like it's an engine related thing. Yeah, um, because like, like you said, if you, I mean, you're changing the the rotational speed of everything when you split it down. So it's not anything with the transmission um, because it doesn't do that in that gear specifically, right? Like you no, can split all the gears; it's fine. It's not like the splitter parts messed up. No, this was a part. nine speed. Con this was a nine speed converted to a thirteen. Okay, and, and yeah, when you split all the other gears, you don't get the vibration, right? Well, if I'm pulling, I do. Oh, any any time that you split. Yeah, any time I shift at all, and it doesn't matter if I do a full gear or if I just split a gear. As I wonder. Back on the throttle. Wonder if he's building up air in the fuel system, and then you back out of the throttle. And then to split or shift, and you get back into it. And if it's that gulp of air is passing through the 13, have you looked at the fuel lines? Have you replaced any fuel lines, fuel filter head? I re replaced the whole fuel line system, all the fuel lines. I did not replace the fuel filter head. Okay. Um, is it a standard basic fuel filter head, or is it the DABCO? Um, well, I got the fast system on, and then it's just a spin-on filter on the engine. Thanks. 
So if you've got the fast system on, it's not an air issue. Okay, I was going to ask you. I'd, I'd try when to did it start doing this? Oh, that's pretty much since I had the truck, and I've tried everything. I can't get it worked out. Mm. And the odd thing of it is it was out there, and you guys tuned it, and apparently it didn't do it whenever you tuned it. Yeah, the dyno's a hard one to – it. I mean, it has its own shake. So it's hard to feel anything, but, um, we're getting a tool that's going to make that, uh, whole vibration analysis part a lot easier. Um, so if you want to maybe schedule an appointment in a couple of weeks, I'd be happy to look at it again. Okay. Tell me what tool we're buying. Um, so it's, it's a tool, uh, a lot of the OEMs use it. It's, basically an accelerometer that you can place on different parts depending on where you feel the vibration. If you feel the vibration in the steering wheel, you put the lead there. If you feel it in the seat, you put it there, the floor, et cetera, et cetera. And then you know what speed everything is rotating. So the engine speed rotates at, let's say, 1,200 RPM. You divide that by 60, and, and that, that's 20 hertz. So you know the engine is rotating at 20 hertz. That's the frequency of it. And if you know what gear ratio you're at or what gear you're in, you know the gear ratio, you know what speed that is turning. And if you know the speed, then you know what frequency that is turning. Same thing with the wheels, the U-joint, drive shaft, everything. So then this tool measures the vibrations across the entire spectrum of frequency from 0 hertz to 140 hertz. So it measures all of those frequencies at once and then their individual amplitudes and splits it up. So if you see a spike on the graph at, let's say, 40 hertz, you know it's something that is spinning twice the speed of the engine. Um, and then, like I said, then it, you have to do your calculations as far as, is that a gearing thing? Is that a drive shaft thing? Tires? You have to know the speeds of everything. And once you know that, you can figure out what frequency you're looking for, and it's just as far as reverse engineering, what you're seeing on the graph um, to figure out, you know, what, what's causing the vibration. Did you get that, Kevin? Uh, actually, I didn't. I was totally tuned out working on an audio issue in the background. I think I just figured out something that's been bothering me for a while. So I have no idea what anybody was just saying. Perfect. I just you, Kevin. No, see, okay. this is this is one of those shows that I trust you guys so much. I can totally tune out, and not even listen to what's going on, and it, most of the time it works just fine if I don't get caught. Okay. <laughs> well, you got caught now. I got <laughs> caught. Yeah. Well, when you get that when you get that tour, you're going to announce that you got it. I'll schedule an appointment then. Yeah, I want to get the tool. I want to play with it, um, you know, and figure out how it works, the software, et cetera, et cetera. And then once that is, we're going to talk about it on the show, on our social media, show some videos. And um, I think it's going to be a tool that's going to, you know, be a, a surefire way to find vibrations on trucks. Um, I mean, we were pretty good at it in the past, but I mean, this is a, a surefire way. This is what Daimler uses. This is what Pat uses. This is what Cummins uses. We're just missing that tool, and now that we'll have it, we should be able to figure out the same things that they can. I I will also get the same vibration, like if I'm pulling out 
and I'm on a, a, a pool and I'm up shifting on a pool, I'll get that same vibration. On the level, running down the road, uh, a slight pool where I don't have to downshift, I got no vibration at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> interesting, yeah. I can tell you on how many miles are on the transmission before it was converted to a 13? 329. <laughs> All right. I, was, I had a thought, but I don't think that's it. Mm. Yeah, it's 329. I got six, 614 on it now. I mean, I know it, so I can pretty much keep away from the vibration, but it really shouldn't be that way. Right. My uh, my T six hundred when I bought it, it was close to a million, but it had a common reman engine in it. But it had a nine speed. I had it converted to a thirteen, and when I would get down out of overdrive into the direct gears, I had a terrible vibration. I talked to some transmission people while I. I said, I, I've got a new box on the back of an old transmission, and I think it's a new gear against an old gear, and they disagreed with me. But I yanked that transmission out, and I bought a single over 18 Eaton Rebip, put it in, and the vibration was gone. Hmm. Okay. But yeah, whenever uh, we get the tool and stuff, uh, call us in like three or four weeks and, uh, we'll see if we can get you in and get an appointment and see if we can't find this thing. Okay. Thank you guys. Yeah, no problem. All right. That is going to do it. Um, we're all out of calls. We're going to wrap this up for today. Anything anybody wants to close with? I don't. If you, you notice Kevin, um, we keep buying new tools and learning new ways of doing things. They didn't even tell me they're buying this tool. How about that? There you go. <laughs> there you go. They've got things under the table. Hey, hey, Bruce. Bruce, you know, I, I brag about your company all the time. The the How many employees you have for decades. You, you've got such amazingly loyal employees you always have. It, it you're kind of like I am with the show. I can tune out, let you guys handle it. I know everything's taken care of. You've been able to do the same thing with your shop. You've got such good employees. Yeah, yeah you're right. Okay. I just want to see the tool when I get back. <laughs> I want to see how of course it goes. do. In a couple weeks. <laughs> That's right. Okay. All right. Um, Thanks, as always, to the team from Pittsburgh Power. We'll do it again next week. Uh, Tomorrow, I've got uh, an interview with a... uh, uh, We brought in a new product, Silver and Copper. Um, Been working on this one for quite a long time. We finally found the company we wanted to work with. Um, I actually got to hang out uh, with this company quite a bit when I was down in Vegas um, got to hang out with the guest I'll have on with me tomorrow. So I'm looking forward to it. And then it'll be a health free for all after that. Thursday will be a free for all. And I'm taking off Friday. Um, I'm sort of semi on vacation this week and next week. I'm doing the show only. 
I have no other work. And then I'm taking off Friday and Monday. It's my birthday too. So um, we'll be here most of the time. I'll be on the road traveling and doing the show from the road, but uh, we'll be here most days other than Friday and Monday. So we will see you tomorrow. Be safe, be profitable, be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey.